BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. There are some big changes to the Drunken Peasants Patreon that all DP fans should be aware of. First of all, we now have a $1 perk that gives you access to our patrons-only feed. See exclusive photos and get behind-the-scenes access to the peasants, all for only $12 a year. The $5 perk, as always, gives you access to our monthly private show. It's a whole other episode of DP just for you. The $10 perk is DP commentary on a film, TV series, or video game every month. Past examples of commentaries include Troll 2, Masters of the Universe, and the unreleased Fantastic Four movie from the 90s. The DP Discord smoke sesh has gone down from $50 to $25. You can hang out with the peasants and chat them up on Discord. For $50, you get your name immortalized by DP on air once a month, and you get a free pass to access DP on demand. For $75, DP will shill your product, service, or YouTube channel on the show live. It's absolutely insane for a show our size to sell advertising this cheap, and slots are limited, so get at it. For $100, you get to come on the show and join us for the segment of your choice. And remember, all patrons of $5 and up are eligible to win the green ticket, a chance to hang out with the peasants and be on the show live in studio. Experience the magic of stoner degenerates watching videos live and in person. You must be 21 or older to win. You should also know about new goals, like the 48-hour show, a U.S. tour, and even a DP movie. For more information, check out patreon.com forward slash DP. From the frigid armpit of America, this is the Drunken Peasants Podcast with Ben and TJ, bringing you opinions of the news from an altered perspective. Fuck it! <laughs> you got a joint? Uh, no, not on me, man. I don't have facts to back this up. It'd be a lot cooler if you did. What the fuck are you talking about, atheists? <laughs> it's okay. You're nothing, okay. KJ. You're garbage. Okay. I just want to no, no, be no, no, light. No, no, You're fuck garbage. Fuck <laughs> and now, here are your hosts, Ben and TJ. We'll do it live. We'll do it live. Fuck it. Do it live. Fucking thing sucks. Hello, everybody. Today, we are gathered here for a debate. 
the subject of this debate is very broad, but it's a debate at the very heart of American politics, liberal versus conservative, left-wing versus right-wing. Our debaters tonight represent some of the youngest and most articulate voices on these positions. Kyle Kalinske is the host of Secular Talk, a YouTube channel with over 370,000 subscribers and over 300,000 views on a typical day. He's also the co-founder of Justice Democrats, a political action committee devoted to kicking corporate Democrats to the curb and unifying the Democratic Party as a social Democratic Party with a progressive agenda. Razor Fist is the owner and operator of The Rageaholic, a YouTube channel with over 100,000 subscribers devoted not only to politics, but also to video games, movies, professional wrestling, and any other subject that strikes his fancy. He's appeared on Steven Crowder's show, Louder with Crowder, defended Trump's wall in a very popular video, and has long been a force, uh, forceful and eloquent voice for the right. Debates uh, can often be the lowest form of discourse because all too often the concern among viewers becomes less about which argument is better or which position is more logically sound, but rather this uh, who won mentality. Other personality, uh, one personality triumphing over another is not a good way to measure ideas against one another. So I'll caution all of you watching this to not allow yourselves to fall into this trap. Look at this debate not so much as a contest between two people, but as a platform where ideas can be compared and contrasted in what will hopefully be a respectful manner. Tonight's debate will cover a wide range of issues, uh, Trump, gun control, uh, the wall, not the Pink Floyd album, the Electoral College, single-payer health care, and more. We'll be opening up the Streamlabs about halfway through for 20 minutes so that you and our audience can also pose questions to our debaters or uh, just leave us a tip to let us know that you appreciate this discussion. But before we can debate any specifics, uh, specific issues, we have to learn some basic definitions. The words conservative and liberal mean different things to different people. So in order to avoid confusion, I'll start this debate off by asking Kyle for his definition of liberalism. Razor Fist will then be given a chance to refute Kyle's definition and to put forth his criticisms of liberalism. Razor Fist will then be given the same opportunity to define conservatism, and Kyle will critique that. So without further ado, uh, Drunken Peasants is now bringing to you what we hope will be an interesting and poignant debate between two people that I personally respect. Hopefully... They're up to the task, not only of entertaining you, but informing you and helping you see the world from a new and interesting perspective. But they can only do that if you, the audience, is willing to uh, set aside preconceptions, set aside whether you're a liberal or a conservative, and uh, you know, just open your mind. I'd ask you to forget about all your political positions and remove yourself from your own ego and simply absorb what's transpiring in front of you. This is my recommendation to you. I can't actually make you do it. So as discussed a moment ago, we're going to begin with Kyle Kalinske. Uh, ben, you can go ahead and take me off of uh, full screen at this point. So uh, we're going to begin with Kyle Kalinske of uh, Secular Talk. Kyle, are you uh, are you ready to start? Are both of you ready to start, actually? Sure, sure. Let's do it. Ready to rock and roll. And, and may I say, just off the bat, uh, it's good to make your acquaintance, Kyle. Nice to meet you too, man. Don't let me like you this early on because then I can't argue as vociferously. <laughs> there you go. Okay, so, so um, uh, on my mark, I'm gonna be uh, doing. I'm gonna be doing timekeeping duties here. So on okay. my, you're gonna be given Kyle five minutes to elucidate your personal definition of liberalism or progressivism or however you choose to identify. Sure. Uh, what it means to you, 
and why you think it's the correct lens through which to, to view the world. All right. Um, I'm going to also give you a warning when you're coming up towards the end of 30 second mark. I'll probably just shout out 30 seconds. Okay. Let you know that you're coming out on your time. Um, I'd encourage both of you to try to use as much of the allotted time as possible. If you run out of things to say, I mean, that that's just the way it is, but um, try to use your, your full time. All right. So with that, Kyle, I'm going to uh, yield the floor to you and that question. Okay. Uh, Mark. Okay. Well, I'm going to let you down on this one because I'm not going to be going on for five minutes, but nonetheless, I proceed. Um, liberalism. Okay, well, let me just say first and foremost, I'm not sure that's the best descriptor that I would use for myself. I would choose to describe myself as populist left or um, a believer in social democracy. Um, but broadly speaking, when I think of liberalism, I think of not believing in tradition for tradition's sake and believing in progress. So saying that, yes, the government in many circumstances can be used in order to try to ameliorate social ills and bring about a better future. Unfortunately, TJ, you can clock me out at one minute. <laughs> All right. Okay. Um, so um, I'm going to oh, go sorry. ahead and reset. Uh, if you want, Razor Fist, you got five minutes to respond. Oh, okay. Uh, look, um, I take not one issue with particularly, you know, classic liberalism. Uh, it, I find the very same cultural permissiveness of OG uh, liberalism makes up the self-same rudiments of many of the more like libertarian philosophies that I stridently adhere to. I, I only bridle when that philosophy then opts to subvert the electorate through whether through unelected Supreme Court justices, for example, or whatever, or foist itself on the citizenry through the government's inevitable threat or application of force. Like really my opposition to modern day liberalism, progressivism, neoliberalism, whatever you want to call it, can be summarized by an unwillingness that I've observed in the left to acknowledge a fundamental truth, that government is fundamentally force and absolutely nothing else. Government is not compassion. Government is not largesse. The government isn't money. Hell, the government does not have a red cent that it doesn't take from you or I. All the government has, its basest essence, is the threat of force. Every government program, no matter how beneficial, detrimental, or innocuous, exists entirely because underlying its prospective implementation is an invisible gun pressed to your temple, which is why I think the most valuable thought exercise one can employ, and I'm going to kind of steal this from Penn Gillette because I think he made a good point, is to ask yourself, like, okay, I'd like for the government to do that, but am I okay with pointing a gun at another human being and forcing them to do that? Because when you ask that question, I think it brings your cherished beliefs under harsh illumination and impels you to sort of re-examine. And a lot of times it may even bring you farther to the left. For example, uh, having examined some of the more ghoulish aspects of especially the late-term variant, I find abortion utterly repugnant on a personal moral level. But by the same token... I cannot ethically reconcile aiming a gun at another human being and forcing them not to imbibe in a readily available medical procedure. You know, ergo, I say hands off abortion. You know, m more to the point, while it would be wonderful for each of us to a man to have medical care, health insurance, and a big titty nurse to blow me dawn to dusk, 
you know, it ain't okay to point a gun in someone's face and forcibly compel them to do so. And make no mistake, that's the end result. If you don't pay taxes, pay your fine. Don't pay your fine, you have to pay your interest. Don't pay your interest, go to court. Don't go to court, bench warrant. Then the cops show up, and then you get to see the barrel of the gun. Charity is charity. Philanthropy is philanthropy. Government is fundamentally force. And uh, I've kind of racked my brain low these many months, for many an hour, to comprehend how the same slacktivist left that perpetuated the hands-up-don't-shoot fiction have any difficulty whatsoever discerning the fact that government is not only force, but all too often a uh, an utterly unmoderated application of it. So, uh, yeah, that, that would be what I have to say on the subject of or my opposition to modern progressivism. All right, so I'm going to open it up to a more free-form discussion here and just you guys can Okay, good. I have a lot to say about that. We'll start it off with Kyle because I'm sure you take issue with some of the things that were said just now. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Okay. So that was about four or five minutes of denying the social contract is what you just did. Um, you're basically regurgitating the talking points that 14-year-olds spew after they read an Ayn Rand book. So we, by saying, oh, government is force, that's all it really comes down to, that's a gross oversimplification. And what you're basically doing is saying, but it's all the same. It's all the same. So when the government does Medicare, for example, and saves the lives of people who need health care and are over the age of 65, when the government builds roads and bridges, when we have firefighters and police, what you're doing is you're saying, well, look, ultimately, at the end of the day, government equals force. So all that stuff, I'm going to lump into the same basket and say it's it's useless or it's not doesn't fit in my ideology or my philosophy. But what I would uh what I would submit to you is literally every single modern nation on the planet has a government. And the question is not, are we going to have government or not? Is it going to be an anarcho-capitalist society or not? The question is, what size government should we have? So in other words, if you want to debate what kind of tax rate we should have, how much the government should or shouldn't be involved in somebody's life, that's a legitimate debate. It is not at all a legitimate debate to try to pretend uh, like these anarcho-capitalist talking points are a form of valid argument where you lump everything into the same basket and say government equals force, therefore let's just disregard it and pretend like we don't need it. Well, if you don't need it, you know what? Go ahead and move to the tundra in Siberia and let me know how that works out for you. And then before you know it, you'll be begging to come back to civilized society where, yes, we have government. And the question is, to what extent do we have government? But here's the great irony. You argue for the social contract and argue that uh, when the government saves someone's life, then that's a laudable experience. But by the same token, when someone dies due to inadequate health care from socialized medicine, which does happen in socialized medicine countries, which very near, <laughs> very nearly happens to people in countries with flat out single payer health care systems, uh, where, where they wind up with health care complications due to exorbitant wait times uh, over health care. That's, that that's it's funny how that social contract simply erodes and only works one way. Well, that that what you just said is bullshit. Moreover, that's not true. <laughs> moreover, I, I would argue further. I, I'm sorry. What what isn't true? What you said is not true. So first of all, every single country, um, it, like rationing is this big thing that people on the right like to point to. Oh my God, rationing healthcare and single payer systems. Every single country rations care. The question is. How do you ration it and how do you prioritize it? In the U.S., we do what's called a wallet biopsy. 
So the richer you are, the more likely you are to get good health care. In other countries, they in single payer countries, they um, they ration based on need. So 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 that's the care they wait are for elective procedures. So yes, if you want a fucking chin surgery or you want something that's elective, you might have to wait a little bit. And you know what? That's totally fine because the person who needs a gallbladder surgery right now is gonna get that gallbladder surgery. And it's always hilarious to me when I listen to people like you talk about uh, single payer healthcare, and then you go and talk to somebody who lives in a single payer system, it's night and day. They tell you, no, I love our system and we think what you do is crazy. And by the way, while we're at it, allow me to say that 45,000 people die every year in the US uh, because they don't have access to basic health care. That number in Canada and Norway and Denmark and Iceland and Sweden is zero. Yeah, and and that's and that's invariably what you'll fall back on. But more people have access. It's on true. People. That's why I fall that's back lovely, on it. Because it's accurate. Providing, what I'm saying is true. Providing access is not the same thing as providing care. If no, you increase the number of people who have access to character, unless you have a magic Harry Potter wand to increase the number of doctors and nurses overnight in a system that no longer places ample incentives on actually becoming a doctor, well, congrats, all you did was give the entire nation access to interminable wait times. I mean, does it well, broaden coverage? The in sure. Denmark disagree. The people in Canada dis disagree. The people in Norway disagree. Apparently, they have that magic Harry Potter wand because they're making it work right now, and our system is not working. Which, which is actually not factual, because in 2013 alone in Canada, across all 12 major medical disciplines, average wait times swelled like an improperly diagnosed neck tumor from nearly 10 weeks to 18 and a half weeks. And I Except mentioned the I uh, improperly... What, what did I just tell you? The wait times are for elective procedures. They're not for necessary <laughs> procedures that and, you have to have right now. And here's why I mentioned the improperly diagnosed uh, neck tumor. Because... Uh, I can I can use an example that's actually very public and was very public on our format YouTube. Uh, prominent ph philosophy YouTuber Stefan Molyneux had a tumor on his neck. Oh, philo yes, philosophy YouTuber, the very serious thinker Stefan Molyneux. Please continue. <laughs> that's so very relevant to this discussion. Uh, You're the one that mentioned him. <laughs> they tell him they tell him don't worry, it's benign. Wait three more months. Dude's sitting here with a shot put in his jaw. They're playing the smooth jazz music for him over the phone and asking him to please stand by for a quarter of a goddamn year. Ten months pass. He finally gets airfare to the States and gets it lanced off by one of our inferior American doctors, who, by the way, takes one look at it, says that shit ain't benign, and puts him on chemo treatments he should have been taking in Canada for the last year. Socialized medicine quite nearly killed the dude. Okay, That's so ready? That's one example. You ready for my example? There's somebody named Bob, somebody named, named Steve, somebody named Jeff, somebody named Chris, somebody named Barbara, somebody named Susan. There are, and this is a Harvard study I'm quoting from. You ready? Quote, 45,000 people die every year from lack of health coverage. And furthermore, if you want to talk yeah, about- It's called the Veterans Administration. Wait, wait, Do you want to talk about specific cases? Let's talk about specific cases. There was a woman, this is under our private health insurance system. You know how people love to say under Obamacare there are death panels? Guess what? They're right, there are death panels. They're called private insurance companies. Because what happens is they try to find any way possible to wiggle out of paying for your care. Because if you have a private health insurance system, uh, you want to maximize profit as much as possible. That's the way it works. You're for profit. So, hey, how do we make more money? Deny as much care as possible. So there was a, a woman who um, had skin cancer and her insurance company said, we're not going to pay out on your claim. She's like, why? This doesn't make any sense. They said, well, we looked back into your uh, past and we found that you had uh, acne. She's like, what? That doesn't make any sense. So you're not going to pay for my skin treatment because I had acne? They go, well... You say it's acne. 
we say it was cancerous skin lesions and you had a pre-existing condition. So now we're not going to pay out. And guess what? She died. So you want to you, you want to sit here and shoot anecdotes all day? We could shoot anecdotes all day. But honestly, I don't give a fuck about anecdotes because anecdotes are anecdotes for a reason. They ignore the, the macro picture. And the macro picture is from the Harvard study, not Kyle speaking here, the Harvard study, quote, 45,000 people die every year from lack of health coverage in the U.S. That does not exist in Canada or Norway or Sweden, no matter how many shitty little stories you come up with to try to pretend like single-payer systems are monstrous when they're actually objectively... Right. Oh, I, I don't have right, to pretend they are because we already have... We don't have to... Hold on, we're going to be able to revisit this subject uh, okay. later on. There is a question dealing with this, so you'll have your chance to discuss this more in depth uh, okay. later on. Um, for now, I want to turn it over to Razor Fist for uh, five minutes to basically the total reverse of the question I gave Kyle at the beginning, just to define uh, your personal definition of what it means to be a conservative, how and why that you feel is the best lens through which to view the world. And if you have any problems with the term conservative or something, you just let me know and, and we can you can just apply whatever term you want to it. All right. I'm going to give you a mark and go. Uh, yeah. Conservative government is easy to quantify for all Kyle's pretense to anarcho-capitalism or whatever helpful little straw man he decided to erect there so he could easily fell. Uh, I argue for a government that is just big enough that we have a military for defense, viable borders, police, and oceans that aren't composed of 80% antifreeze, while keeping the government small enough that it can't seize your personal property, force you to engage or disengage from private commerce, uh, doesn't print currency until it's outstripped in value by Molo Cup money, and to the civil libertarians among us, isn't so intrusive or overbearing that it can tell Dick and Lance they aren't allowed to have butt sex babies. You know, it's a form of government that, at the end of the day, ra rather than telling you what you are supposed to do, allows you to live your life, steps back a bit, and uh, and doesn't doesn't overstep its purview except when absolutely necessary. It's it's no accident the more socialist our government policies get, the less social our communities actually become, as we replace the community and the civic process with the state. Uh, that would be my argument for what uh, conservative is, and I would further argue, conservative is somewhat of a misnomer. I think one of the reasons conservatism fell by the wayside for a while there. It's somewhat resurgent at present, but one of the reasons it fell by the wayside is because we allowed the language to be handed over to the left. We allowed the left to refer to themselves as progressive for employing hundred-year-old ideas of socialism, which there's nothing progressive about that. If you look at the root word progressive, it's to progress, to look to the new, to look to the new horizon, something that's never been implemented. Socialism's been tried before. If you want to get really technical, about forms of government that have never truly been tried, it's a form of government that puts the power squarely in the hands of the people and steps back and lets them live their lives. Okay, okay. so Kyle, you have uh, up to five minutes to respond to that. Yeah, I don't have much to say about that other than to point out that, of course, I was not strawmanning. You're the one who brought up uh, about how all government is force, and I'm simply relaying the fact that that is the main argument that they make in anarcho-capitalist circles. So that's where that came from. Second of all, um, modern conservatism, if you talk about modern conservatism in the context of today's Republican Party, it's basically an off-the-spectrum party in that it's full of 
complete wanton corporatists. Now, by the way, to be clear, that's not me saying that the Democrats are not also gigantic corporatists because they are. It's just a matter of degrees here. Um, but the Republicans are giant corporatists. Totally. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. I said I didn't yeah. mean to interrupt. Go ahead. Let me just finish this real quick. This is not this won't take long. Um, so totally beholden to their Wall Street donors, big oil donors. You go down the list. And then there's also a hefty uh, dose of Christian fundamentalism and social conservatism in there. Um, if you look at, you know, the new movement conservatism, people like Steve Bannon and, of course, Roy Moore is the new one, the Alabama Senate GOP candidate. I mean, it's basically comical. You have Christian fundamentalists who uh, Roy Moore is a guy who argued that homosexuality should be illegal. So I find it interesting that you mentioned how on social issues you consider yourself pretty libertarian. Um, well, that's certainly out of out of lockstep with uh, the Republican Party and the direction that they've been going in. It's well, it's interesting. All right, I'm going to just open this up for a little yeah. freeform discussion between you two guys. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think we're all that in opposition here in terms of definitions. Uh, look, uh, one of the most, and I, I think probably the most prominent politician to come out the earliest for both gay marriage and gays in the military was actually Republican. It was Barry Goldwater, Mr. Conservative. So it's not completely out of step with the Republican platform. It's just an out of step with what the neocon platform became, the, the Reaganites, the Pat would Robertson you, brigade and so forth. Would you deny that that's the more vehement strain in the party today? I think that's definitely changed with Trump, who's, you know, holding a rainbow flag on stage. I think that's there's certainly been a paradigm shift there. But he's, also he's picking Mike Pence as his VP. I'm sorry, what? But also picking Mike Pence as his VP, whose claim to fame before he was picked to be VP was that he signed an anti-gay bill in Indiana, which made it so that businesses are legally allowed to discriminate against gay people. Yeah, as a, as a conciliatory gesture to the neocon wing, and we can go on and on with that. But you you understand what I mean? Like Trump himself ho holding <laughs> rainbow flags on stage, having having publicly expressed support for uh, George Michael's wedding the same year that Hillary Clinton came out and said uh, marriage is between one man and one woman. That was two thousand five, I believe. You know, it's he's clearly not the same cut from the same cloth as the Mike Pence's and the Paul Ryan's. Well, I agree with that, but I think he's – I don't think he has much of an ideology to begin with. I think he's totally unmoored and totally vapid, but that's a separate conversation. My point is they the, – the majority of elected Republicans are not Rand Paul. They're not liberal on social issues. They're decidedly the opposite. That's that's beginning to change already. You just saw Jeff Flake resign. Okay, but it, it, right and, now. Uh, I'm what, talking right now. Uh, but yeah, but you, you, in any political group, you're going to wind up. I mean, I, I severely doubt you would like to be closely identified with the John Podestas and Hillary Clintons. There's well, different. No, but I'm I'm loudly and aggressively on the record saying, number one, they are the dominant strain in the Democratic Party, which oh, is okay. why I'm trying to fucking purge it with Justice Democrats. That's point number one. Uh, but point yeah. number two is, why are you tap dancing around it? Just admit it. The majority of the Republican Party are socially conservative, backwards Neanderthals. I I wasn't tap dancing around it. I'm, I'm, I'm more than happy to admit that the neocons took over the party and that that obviously triggered a massive shift in the party. However. Uh, by the same token, I just said, unlike the Democrats, there's actually a shift in the opposite direction. No, no, okay, but then we get into what is rhetoric versus what is reality. I would submit to you that Rand Paul is the only 
uh, person who's actually left or libertarian on social issues, whereas virtually everybody else in the in the Republican Party, including Trump, because I don't give a fuck what Trump says. What matters to me are his policies and his actions. And he just recently signed a religious liberty executive order. So this is one of those things where, yeah, he can hold an LGBTQ flag all day long, but that doesn't mean dick at the end of the day when he's picking Mike Pence for VP and he's signing every single bill that Pat Robertson and John Hagee wants him to sign. You'd, you'd be surprised at how many Republicans are liberal on social issues. I don't even like John McCain, and we all know his stance on civil unions and so forth because of his daughter. Civil unions is a joke. It's like a fucking halfway point in on an issue where there is no halfway point. Either you're for gay marriage or you're against it. And I, and I agree on that issue. I, I completely agree. Look, I'm from more of the Rand Paul wing, so you're really preaching to the choir here. Good. Well, then we're going to get along a lot more than I thought we would. <laughs> there you go. Well, I mean, one of the reasons I wanted you two guys to, to have this discussion is because you're both, uh, I wouldn't say fringe, but I would say you're, you kind of are both representative of um, uh, the younger demographics of, of these parties at this point and maybe sort of a glimpse of where things are headed in the future. Um, but I, I don't see because when I, I mean, really look, don't I don't see an equivalence, though, because I really do think that the overwhelming majority of the Republican Party, the elected Republicans are are backwards on social issues, whereas I think it's a fair point to say the majority of young Republicans like millennial Republicans are might be reasonable and more agree with Rand Paul on these issues. But in terms of elected well, Republicans. We're talking well over 90% of them are still 100% wrong on these issues. Which I think is an artifact of the fact that they were in power for so long as a repudiative gesture against uh, Obama as his popularity began to fell. Uh, you know, after 2010, when he was blown out in the midterms, there were a bunch of Republicans rushed into Congress and it was like they would vote, the people would vote for anything with an R next to its name because they were so pissed about Obamacare. So it kind of, I think we're kind of stuck with a lot of artifacts from that period. And so, look, it's going to be a, a slow, transformative process if it if it happens at all. All right. Fair enough. Uh, yeah. I have a uh, – this is a – you guys kind of were touching upon uh, the Donald Trump phenomenon. Now, obviously, Razor, you've made some videos um, supporting Donald Trump and his presidency. Yeah. Uh, you, you Still? Still? Absolutely. So the question that I'm going to pose to both of you, and it's going to be posed to Razor first, is, is Donald Trump a good president? And you can begin now. In order to have that, in order to make that statement, you have to have a metric for it. Uh, in recent memory, I, I, the only thing I can go off of is from Obama to Bush, Bush Sr., a, a president is considered successful, air quotes, if of the half dozen LSD fueled pipe dreams they pitched to the plebs during the general election, they're able to implement at least one. That appears to be the criteria. I wouldn't nice piss on metric. Obama. I wouldn't. I wouldn't piss on Obama to extinguish a fire. But I do believe, looking at it objectively, history may record him as an, an effective executive because while he didn't close, <laughs> no, look, because while he didn't close Guantanamo and he certainly didn't end any war. Try not to interrupt, peace, Kyle. Sorry. I'm laughing. I'm not interrupting, dude. No, look. While while he didn't close Guantanamo and he didn't he didn't uh, end any wars in the Middle East. If anything, quite the opposite. He was able to fulfill two major campaign promises. He pushed through Obamacare and he croaked Bin Laden. 
period. Like applying this metric, you'll find it largely unchanged over the last quarter century. If the president was able to fulfill one or two of his major campaign promises, and obviously there's going to be other things sprinkled on top, well, the media throws him a parade. He's largely considered a success, which is why someone's going to have to explain to me how in the first 10 months of his first term, Trump can institute the five-year lobbying ban on politicians he promised, institute be overruled on, fight, win, and reinstitute the Middle East travel ban he promised, pull out of the TPP like he promised, institute the federal hiring freeze like he promised, you know, uh, appoint a conservative replacement for Justice Scalia like he promised, uh, set aside money for and begin erecting prototypes of the fucking wall like he promised. I thought you're socially liberal. And be confused even in passing with a failure. I mean, just this past week, he... Uh, he unsealed the JFK assassination files, which wasn't even a campaign promise. It was literally just an offhanded reference he made on a radio show. They time. were scheduled to be released. Jesus, right. you get one so second, diverted Kyle. by any tweet, you think it's like gospel. One second, Kyle, you gotta wait. This, uh, the bottom line is, this cat has kept more promises in 10 months than Obama broke over the course of eight years. That you find these, these actions objectionable is immaterial. I and many others found Obamacare objectionable enough that he lost his majority in Congress months after its passage. Look, he's, he's still a success, albeit a middling one, because he followed through on at least two of his major promises. And by the left's own metric, so is Trump. That isn't to say he's even almost perfect. I myself recorded a scathing invective about his ass-backward intervention into Syria, and I stand by it. His position on DACA had me scratching my head until he pulled a pretty masterful parry at the end, actually, and got a shot down in Congress. And he hasn't yet overturned Obamacare, largely due to uh, Judas goats in his own party, like uh, like John McCain, for example. But he just teamed with Rand Paul to draft an alternate solution. And whatever you think of Paul's politics, I can think of worse people to team with on the subject of healthcare than a fucking eyeball surgeon. I mean, call me crazy. I I'm I'm not over the moon about taking healthcare advice from Nancy Pelosi, the same woman who gave a green light to that facelift. So, uh, yeah, that's about all I have to say about Trump. I'm, I'm eminently pleased. Okay, good. My turn. Right, hold on. No. Uh, so, Kyle, he went for three minutes and 14 seconds. Right. Uh, you have five minutes to rebut. I would like to remind both of our debaters to try to refrain from interrupting during the non-freeform sections. Well, sometimes you can't help it. Okay, number one. Uh, you can, but here you go. You, you, mentioned, you mentioned Neil Gorsuch as a victory for Trump just after we had the conversation about how you're socially liberal. By your own standard, that's not a victory. So that's a, this is a weird thing to say. Number two, the JFK thing, again, this is so silly because like, yes, it was scheduled to be released and he was like, yeah, okay, go ahead. But then he goes on Twitter and takes credit for it and, and everybody's like, oh yeah, you gotta give him credit. No, you don't have to give him credit. He was taking credit for something that was scheduled to be released. Now, to the broader question, is Trump a good president? The answer is decidedly fuck no, and it's not even close. Let's go through some of the things that he's done. Uh, number one, he signed a bill that gutted internet privacy rights. This is something that's not talked about nearly enough. It's a bill that literally 6% of the American people supported. Uh, every single Republican politician voted in favor of gutting internet privacy rights. And what it does is it makes it so that anytime you put your information um, online into a site, they now have the legal authority to take your information and sell it to whoever the fuck they want to sell it to, whereas in the past, they couldn't do that. They needed to get your permission. That's point number one. Point number two, he picked Ajit Pai to lead the FCC. Ajit Pai's main goal is gutting net neutrality. Number three, he did gut Obamacare. I don't know why you sold him short on that one. He indeed did gut Obamacare. 
Um, he proposed Trump Care, which, by the way, had a 12% approval rating. What a winner he is. Um, according to the CBO, with just his recent executive orders on Obamacare, one million more people are going to lose health insurance. Premiums are going to rise by 20%. Um, they eliminate the protection for pre-existing conditions because they make it optional on a state-by-state -state basis. And what's going to happen is half the states, the red states, are going to say, we don't believe in, pre in protecting people with pre-existing conditions. His tax plan, when the CBO crunched the numbers on that, it gives everybody who's poor a $40 tax cut, gives everybody in the top 0.2% $940,000. Wow. Um, he wants to eliminate the estate tax. That's another one that's, uh, I'm sure you agree with him on that one, so I don't know why you didn't count that in his, uh, in his victories. But, of course, the estate tax also only applies to 0.2% of uh, Americans. It's for people who make over $5 million or have over $5 million. Um, he's, now, in terms of free speech, an issue, TJ, I know you care desperately about, Trump suggested making flag burning illegal. That's deeply against the First Amendment. Uh, he suggested delicensing news outlets that put out stories he doesn't like. That's another thing that's deeply against the First Amendment. And I don't even know what that means, by the way. I don't know what the fuck he was thinking he could even do on that front unless he thinks he's some sort of a dictator. He increased drone strikes by 432%. Obama was terrible already with drone strikes. Trump increased them by 432%. This is something that, again, you as a more libertarian-leaning person should probably absolutely despise. He picked Jeff Sessions for attorney general. This is another guy who's socially backwards and who's doubling down on the drug war. He escalated in Afghanistan. He escalated in Syria. He escalated in Iraq. His very first military raid as president uh, killed an eight-year-old American girl. Her name was Nawar al-Awlaki. Uh, and, of course, he pulled us out of the Iran deal, which makes it much, much more likely that Iran gets a nuclear weapon. And um, I could go on, but I'll leave it there because I've probably filled up all my time. Uh, you actually have two and a half minutes left if you want. Okay, step aside. First day in office, he reversed a, a middle-class tax cut. He literally reversed a middle-class tax cut for mortgage insurance premiums. Uh, he's doing a $110 billion Saudi Arabia weapons deal, which proves that he's an establishment bitch boy who's doing what every single president before him did. He picked a predatory payday lender to be the head of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. He littered his administration with Goldman Sachs lackeys, including Steve Mnuchin and Gary Cohn. Gary Cohn, by the way, got a $285 million exit bonus when he left Goldman Sachs. And look at that. He's pushing for privatization of our infrastructure, and Goldman Sachs gets to, to be the beneficiary. Uh, Trump increased military spending by $80 billion. Uh, and even on the things that you that I would agree with you that he he did good on, like killing TPP, I originally gave him credit for that. Guess what? I was a chump. I was a sucker because what happened is during the renegotiation of NAFTA, they're now slipping in provisions from the TPP. And I'll wrap it up with that. I didn't even mention North Korea. Right. We're about to go to war. I, um, I would. I actually have uh, I actually had this slated to go to, uh, after your initial five minute comments to go two minutes each. But I think I'm just going to continue with the trend of opening it up for open discussion after you've each uh, had your say. And uh, I'll go ahead and since there's a lot to unpack there, I'll let Razor uh, take a crack at what you just you just had to say. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of information at once. Um, first off, a lot of that is subjective. Hey, I'm on the left and I don't like what he did stuff. Some of it is just part of his agenda that you don't like. Oh, congratulations. You're not really his market. 
It does. It doesn't. I'm with over ninety percent of Americans. However, according to the poll. describing people like I mean, Stephen Nushkin has issues of his own, but you're talking about. Goldman Sachs lackey. He the guy ran a burger restaurant. Like what are you? What are you? You're. It's absolutely absurd. To and he was the head of One West Bank and worked for Goldman Sachs. So he's a Wall Street insider and he's doing their bidding. And any anyone who is corporate could be described as a Wall Street insider. This see this is the problem. You know you're like, defending Goldman. The, the Thank idea you. Keep that going. You're not, I'm sorry. What? Keep defending Goldman Sachs. This is fun. <laughs> no. <laughs> what? No. What I'm saying is this guy at the end of the day has to put together an administration. You know, this is of this Goldman is, Sachs insiders. I, I'm sorry. I said of Goldman Sachs insiders. Apparently, after he spent the whole campaign trail uh, going after Hillary Clinton for her connection to Goldman Sachs and Wall Street. And by the way, he was right about that. But then he turns around and does the same fucking thing, and it's called hypocrisy, and it's called him being an establishment bitch. No, uh, no, it's called putting together your administration, and unfortunately, having would you say that if Hillary did that? Pieces. If Hillary I know. Look, I've, I've talked about – no, look, I recorded an entire video about how Trump's cabinet could go either way. And as you've seen with the large turnover, there's some clear teething issues in appointing the correct names and faces to the correct positions. And I, I agree. Like a lot of these, these faces and names are – as soon as I heard Sessions, I was not, I was not pleased at all. As soon as I heard uh, – I'm, I'm trying to think of some of the other names. But – Manushkin, I wasn't over the moon about actually, who I just mentioned to you, and whose name I also cannot pronounce properly. But um, you know, there's a lot of people within his administration that I'm not over the moon about, and fortunately, a lot of them appear <laughs> to be shit canned as of now. So I'm not, I'm not sure why you would even necessarily mention that. You have to understand, like You're at still the beginning, there. he had people, he had people from like he had like Romney advising him on who was going to be in his cabinet and so forth. This was clearly. A lot of his cabinet, unfortunately, in the beginning were conciliatory picks for the neocons uh, because at the end of the day, he was trying to unite his party. He's made this mistake before, by the way, uh, in the primary when he, instead of standing his ground and standing in opposition to Rand Paul and John McCain, he gave kind of a last minute endorsement so that he could get their endorsement in kind. And then they just wound up sticking the knife in anyway. He's He's been rife with this. Look, this is a non-politician. He went from a civilian, albeit a popular one, to president of the United States in less than a year. He's not stupid, but he's also not a politician. And there's clearly going to be teething issues, and there clearly have been with his, with his cabinet in general. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't understand why you would even – Goldman Sachs insiders. Swing a dead cat and don't hit a Goldman Sachs insider in Washington, D.C. Oh, like, I dare you. please. <laughs> You don't even believe that. No, much less on the Republican side. That's so silly to say that. Like, obviously, he picked Goldman Sachs insiders for a fucking reason. Because he fired them for a fucking reason. He didn't fire Mnuchin and Cohen. I don't know why you keep saying that. They're still in the administration. Yes, but several others have been. Several other Goldman Sachs insiders. We're talking about Mnuchin and Cohn. I don't give a fuck if he fired Bob, who did something else. I'm talking about Mnuchin and Cohn, Goldman Sachs. Uh, lackeys who, yes, are doing the bidding of Goldman Sachs. I just told you they're working on privatizing our infrastructure and letting Goldman Sachs be the beneficiary. And it's not a fucking coincidence that Gary Cohn took a gigantic over $200 million exit bonus and then now he's doing is, that. Hold on. What, what is privatizing our infrastructure? Name a road that wasn't built by a private company with government grants. 
Have you heard of the New Deal? The rail, the railroad system. Have you? I mean, have you heard of the? Have you heard of the train? I mean, are, come wait, on. wait, wait. Are you denying that we have public roads that can be privatized? Are you denying that that no, we have that, public roads? What I just said is private companies are contracted by the government to do these things. Correct. But they don't own them. They don't own them. That that isn't that isn't material. That isn't that central is material because Goldman is going to own them. That's the point. That's what they're working on right now. That that's what. The, okay, so you're saying Goldman Sachs will own the roads? Sell, no, no, no. Not all of the roads. Don't be a pithy idiot. You know what I'm saying. Certain roads. Yes, they're trying to sell off parts of the infrastructure and have Goldman own them. And that is happening because Gary Cohn took a tremendous exit bonus, and now he's one of Trump's top officials. And Trump is doing the bidding of the establishment, just like he said he wouldn't do. So that's why this is all relevant. It's not, oh, wow, look at well, poor Trump. You know, it's hard to pick the right people. No, it's Trump is actively trying to do the bidding of the establishment because he's their bitch. He is an insider. He's not an outsider. He's an insider. He is he's, Hillary Clinton. No, no, he's such an insider that he, he was— out donated by Hillary, what, 700 million was the oh, yes. final count no, no, no. on her? Not to, get, to, to you're not going to get me to defend Hillary, insider. sweetheart. You're not going to get me to defend Hillary. But, you no, know, no, what, I'm, what I'm saying is, is he was, you're trying he was to deflect from the problems with Trump. No, 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 what I'm saying is if he was in fact an insider, he wouldn't be continuing to be fought tooth and nail. Because look, CNN is owned by a corporation. NBC is owned by a corporation. ABC is owned by a corporation. I, I believe we can come to the middle and agree they're not exactly painting the most flattering portrait of Donald Trump at present. These corporations have agendas. And these corporations are clearly not beholden to Donald Trump. You understand this, right? It would be curious tactics if he were taking a bunch of money from, for example, uh, Disney, who has no small amount of connections to Goldman Sachs themselves. And in turn was, was turning around and being bashed by the news organization that's owned by Disney, which is ABC. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Are you done? Yeah. Okay. So Donald Trump, if we want to, we can sit here and talk about Hillary Clinton's problems and how she is the establishment because she is and all the, the donations that she took. Donald Trump, it was a complete and utter lie when he said, I'm self-financing my campaign. That is demonstrably untrue. But furthermore, no. even if it wasn't true, even if it was true, guess what? He's in over $100 million of personal debt, mostly held on Wall Street. You don't no. think they hold that over his head to get what the fuck they want? Of course they do. So you trying to pretend like he's not an insider is preposterous. Well, first off, that's a, that's actually incorrect. He was self-funded. He was self-funded through the primary, and then in the main campaign, as he always said he would. I mean, he, he said as early not. as June 2016, or, or no, uh, even before that, like April 2016, uh, that if if it progressed to the prime to the uh, general election stage, that he would then accept donations. Right. But the, the primary was completely self-funded. That That is just an incongruity that people attempt to manufacture. First of all, can we get a fact check on that, number one? And number two, even if you're correct, even if you're correct, the yeah. fact that he turned around on a key part of his campaign, the fact that his whole point was I'm not beholden to the establishment because I'm not taking contributions. And then he starts taking contributions. For fuck's sake, there was the guy who's the who's the head of Johnson and Johnson was a top donor to Jeb Bush. Trump said repeatedly during the during the primary, is Jeb a puppet to this guy? I think he's a puppet. He's taking money from this gentleman here. I think he's a puppet. Not only did that guy become a Trump 
donor in the general election, Trump appointed him to be the head of his fundraising. So yeah. that is nothing but sheer no, 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 no. That is, And you also don't seem to understand how Trump's fundraising worked in the general election. You the don't RNC and know Trump how had separate. No, the RNC and Trump had separate fundraising apparatuses uh, during the general election. So the RNC was taking money from all kinds of folks and they were actually printing their own. Like, it's crazy. There's like two alternate. If you look at like Trump, even bumper stickers. There's two different designs for Trump bumper stickers. One is printed by the RNC. One was printed by Trump himself. It was like two separate campaigns were going on, uh, which is basically a reflection of the schism between Trump and the, the actual Republican Party. There was no harmony there. So if you're t if you're talking about like them taking money from all kinds of companies, yeah, the RNC absolutely were. Trump it was Trump too. No, and I have no doubt that Trump took money from corporate donors and so forth in, in the general election, although he took considerably, honestly, not a whole lot in the general election because most of them were too busy donating to Hillary. I mean, that's a fact. You don't you don't amass that mass massive sum of wealth throughout the general election uh, <laughs> and then just send it over to Trump as well. You know, what All was right. the final total? Like Trump had 100, 100 to 200 million. I, I, I even forget what the final number was, but Hillary was well past 400. Which, which makes it even more pathetic now that he's completely doing the bidding of the establishment. Wouldn't <clears throat> you agree? I, I would if I agreed with your hypothesis, which which I don't. I, okay. I think appointments. So hold on. We're going to change gears here. We could yeah. probably this this could probably go on all night if I didn't stop it. Yeah. Um, we're going to change gears here to gun control. Uh, and this one's going to Kyle first for five minutes. Is gun control a solution to America's high rate of gun violence? And if so, to what extent? Okay, so first of all, on this one, we're going to have to separate what my personal opinion is from what the objective answer is to that question. Feel because free. when um, when it comes to my personal take on this issue, let me just lay out real quick what I would be in favor of. I'm, I'm, I'm a relative moderate on this issue. So what that means is I'm, I agree with 93% of the American people when they say, hey, let's do a universal background check. I agree with 60% of the American people when they say let's ban high capacity magazines. Outside of that, you know, I'm in favor of basically treating guns like cars. So you have a permitting system, you have registration, you have tests, you have um, waiting periods are important too, because like in the case of Dylan Roof, for example, they didn't complete the background check and then they decided to sell him the gun anyway because they needed another day to finish it. So if we had a little bit of a longer waiting period, that would have been 100% crucial in that situation. Um, so that's basically my take on what I think we should do. But now to your question of uh, is it effective or not? Not only is it effective, it would obviously be significantly more effective if we went further than my moderate ass and what I'm in favor of. So in order to make my point here, uh, I have a meta-analysis from the Harvard Injury Control Research Center. And a meta-analysis takes all the peer-reviewed studies on this issue, and they look at them, and they tell you the conclusion. And here's what they found. This is their words, not mine. Quote, where there are more guns, there is more homicide. Our review of the academic literature found that a broad array of evidence indicates that gun availability is a risk factor for homicide, both in the United States and across high-income countries. Case control studies, ecological time series, and cross-sectional studies indicate that in homes, cities, states, and regions in the U.S. where there are more guns, both men and women are at a higher risk for more homicide, particularly firearm homicide. 
So where they, they, they're saying where there's more guns, there's more gun violence, and there's more gun deaths. Um, now, again, I'm not in favor of banning guns. That's just my personal take on it. But the question of if you do that, would there be fewer gun deaths? The answer is no shit. And you could look at Japan to prove your case. Japan has like no gun deaths a year. If there's five, it's a fucking scandal. Meanwhile, in the U.S., we have 33,000 gun deaths. Over 10,000 of them are homicides. Yeah, this is... All right, so Razor, I'm going to now give it to you for five minutes or whatever amount of time you need. Yeah, if, if the argument is more guns equals more crime, uh, someone's going to have to explain to me why gun ownership is currently... No, 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 and no, no. More gun deaths. More guns equals more gun deaths. Not more crime. More gun deaths. Yeah, and, and there's, there's where you get into gun death statistics invariably include suicides, which is a very important metric. Well, no, 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 but I just no, told you. No, 62% of all now. gun deaths, 62% of all gun deaths are suicides. Well, he's misstating what I said. That's why I'm correcting him. Well, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to wait until he's done to correct him. So let him misstate it. Yep. No, no, no. go go That's... right ahead and, and okay, and correct okay. So him. this will right. be quick. So I'm just gonna uh, I'm just gonna reset the counter here. Thirty-two. And let's 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 give you guys a moment to clarify before we proceed with uh, with Razor's uh, thing. There's over thirty-two, or even in, depending on the year, over thirty-three thousand gun deaths in America. About eleven thousand, over ten thousand of them are homicides. So if you want to forget the thirty-two thousand, because that includes suicides, fine. We'll forget that because it includes accidents and suicides. But ten thousand or eleven thousand homicides, and that's compared to like three in Japan. Yeah, yeah, and, and All right, that's so. Hold on, now I'm going to go ahead and give uh, Razor Fist his his, uh, his say. If, uh, please, if there's any, I'll shut up. I'll shut up. If there's any misconceptions or whatever, we're gonna you're gonna have plenty of time to freeform discuss it at the end of the uh, his uh, spiel. Yeah. Uh, so you know, as you said, 62% of all gun deaths are suicides. I think 30 32% are homicides. And if you want to make the argument as you made, like fine, okay, we'll reduce even suicides by banning guns. Like I, okay, like let's go look at the bastion of cap and ball control that is uh, United Kingdom. Where gun suicides are microscopically small, admittedly, look, that's going to happen. There's no use denying basic facts. If you reduce the availability of guns, obviously that's going to happen. It's just 2% are committed with uh, guns, I believe. But uh, alternate methods, such as hanging, overdose, or suffocation, more than compensate, they jump up to uh, 60%. Here in the States, it's like 24%. Oh, better ban rope and razor blades, uh, Great Britain, like top two. I mean, the second highest suicide rate in the world is found in South Korea, and they have banned guns outright, uh, period. Look, the regulation of firearms in this country, particularly the despotic variant found in major population centers, and incidentally murder capitals, uh, despite all their efforts at gun control, like Chicago or Los Angeles, it's an anachronistic artifact from what is now nigh universally regarded as one of the blackest chapters in U.S. domestic policy, the Prohibition Era. Uh, for all the left's efforts to arbitrarily demarcate between the two, you know, to sort of cherry pick which draconian pablum to overturn and which to ratify so they can hold on to like weed or lose their legal guns at the same time. They willfully ignore the fact that the NFA piggybacked off of the Volstead Act and boasted the very same champions in Congress. You know, the irony, of course, is that the most recent revival of the gun control debate comes in the wake of the Las Vegas massacre, which I'll go on record having looked at both cases I think it was clearly in some way inspired by the Texas clock tower sniper of the 1960s, uh, Charles Whitman. It, there's too many 
too many similarities, and the guy was old enough that he lived through it. I, I just have a feeling on that one. But look, not not merely because they mo both used like high vantage points to assail their victims, it's that they both employed identical tactics. Uh, anyone who has watched the news saw those the two broken out windows in the hotel Stephen Paddock fired from. Both he and the clock tower sniper used two opposite firing zones to triangulate their targets and give themselves a sort of field of fire in excess of 180 degrees. It's like a military tactic. Yeah. Whitman had one firing position facing the, I believe the University of Texas quad and another facing a busy street in Austin. Um, in both cases, they neatly laid out their backup rifles, magazines, bottled water and the like. You know, they both had vague motives. The similarities go on at Astra, which is why I kind of laugh my balls clean off when it's suggested that armed concert goers might not have precluded the massacre or even reduced the damage. Like, why? Because that's exactly what happened in the Texas Clock Tower case. As the massacre wore on, Whitman ran out of targets on the quad side. So as he shifted to the streets, civilians realized what was happening. They headed home and grabbed their rifles. Even professors on the campus returned to their cars. They came back with firearms and proceeded to open up on this cat. Now, it's worth mentioning that this didn't kill Charles Whitman, but what it did do is pin him down long enough that he had to abandon one of his firing positions so that instead of raining hot lead on a shitload of soft targets on a busy downtown street, street corner, he actually had to turn back toward the quad where most of his remaining targets had long since either died or bugged out. I mean, think about it. Unlike the Vegas shooter, this, I mean, his wall-eyed retard was, he was a world-renowned competition-caliber military sniper, but just 14 people died in Texas. Well over 50 died in uh, in Las Vegas. You know, responsible gun owners played a part in that at the end of the day. And <clears throat> here's the thing you have to understand, like just 11.3% of all gun crimes are committed with a legally purchased gun. That is, that is barely one-tenth. Over 40% are committed with black market weapons and nearly equal that number were hand-me-downs from a family member or friend. You know, what are you gonna do, ban families? Actually, I think I just got, gave the uh, modern authoritarian left ideas, but it's just, it's it's ridiculous. You're not going to legislate the problem away is, is the fundament of it. Are you done? All right, yeah. so if that's... Uh... That's wrapped up. We're gonna go ahead and open. No, no, for, no, no, uh, no, 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 no. I need to respond. No, no, I, I don't. I don't mean. Uh, I don't mean. I'm, I'm just mean if he his uh, thing is wrapped up. We can go ahead and uh, move on to some free form discussion on the issue of guns. Kyle, I'll let you start yeah. since Razor just spoke. See what happens when I don't interrupt. You just gave a soliloquy. Well, Jesus you know, I, he had he has five minutes and he's free to use it as he pleases. Oh, he did. Um, okay, so let me ask him a question. I won't take uh, 17 minutes. Do more guns equal more peace? Yes or no? It really depends on the locale you're talking about. There are areas where, yes, it absolutely equals more peace. Okay, so here's the follow-up question to that. All right. Why is the U.S. already not the most peaceful? Myriad factors, uh, proximity to the Mexican border, the cartel war, uh, many, many, many factors. <laughs> A lot of it uh, probably dealing with a subject I think we're going to get into later. Uh, immigration has a bit to do with it, lack of... Integration, ethnic tension, gangs. Oh, so it's drugs. it's the Mexicans' fault. No, no, no. What I'm saying oh, okay. is, no, what? <laughs> no, no more than any other ethnic group. Uh, it's ethnic disunity is ethnic disunity in any locale. Okay. Well, let me just say that if more guns equals more peace, the U.S. would already be the most peaceful, and we are not. Like I described before, thirty-three thousand gun deaths a year. That includes homicides, suicides, and accidents. 
about 10 or 11,000 homicides every year. If it were the case that having more guns made everybody made everything more peaceful, because as you said, hey, man, the good people outnumber the bad people. So if people are armed, then they'll be able to stop the bad guy doing the shooting. Okay, well, if that was the case, well, then we would already have the most peaceful country and we'd have the fewest gun deaths. And we don't. And I'll close on this because I don't have much more to say on this one. But um, this is the situation in Australia. This is from Snopes, quote, two nationwide. This is what happened after 1996 when they had a giant mass shooting. Two nationwide gun buybacks, voluntary surrenders, state gun amnesties, a ban on the importation of new automatic and semi-automatic weapons, the tightening of gun owner licensing, and the creation of uniform national standards for gun registration. Australia collected and destroyed about 650,000 firearms, um, a reduction which is the equivalent of like 40 million guns in the U.S. of our 300 million or so being destroyed. Um, And... In the 18 years since that mass shooting, there's been a grand total of 104 um, victims, 104 gun deaths. So that is what? About three days in the U.S. There's about 104 gun deaths every three days. They did gun uh, regulation, and they've had 104 deaths in 18 years. So hey, look, look, if my you opinion, talk, no, my I'm pi- sorry. Are you done? No, I'm not. My opinion okay. is separate from the facts here, because like I said, I'm not in favor of banning guns. But the, the question presented to us is, hey, is would that make it safer? And the answer is unquestionably yes. And I would respect your position a lot more if you said, hey, you know what, man? Look, we're going to have a, a relatively higher gun death rate, but I don't give a fuck. Freedom. Freedom, bitch. If you said that to me, I'd say, hey, God bless. That's a reasonable opinion to have. But the thing that makes me go fucking crazy is when people try to pretend like, no, 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 we should, everybody should have guns, but then also that will make us more safe because that part is complete and utter horseshit. The second part of that. No, what it, what it ensures is that you at least have the opportunity to defend yourself in the event of a calamity. And look, if you want to talk about Australia, where, like you said, they banned guns in 1996 and the murder rate it didn't even fall off for another half decade, and it only did so when crime rates across the world also plummeted in kind. So, you know, I, I just told you, you, but you they handed in their personal liberty in exchange for a six-year late decline in crime that would have occurred even if they had kept them. You I know? just told you, 104 deaths since then. Yes, but that's what I'm saying. It, it coincides with a worldwide decrease overall in crime. It would have happened anyway. And, and it took a half decade to even happen outright. And not only that, but use of knives not only grew, but grew to a level higher than use of guns was the year they were outright banned. In 1996, the year of the Australian gun ban, gun crime was hovering at, what, like 35%? And knife crime was trailing it at less than 30%. By 2007, the rate of night crime nearly 50%. Congrats, you exchanged one murder yeah. method for another. That's that a great the point. That is success of Australian gun control in a nutshell. That's a good point. That's a good point. It would have been a horrible mass stabbing in Las Vegas. That would have been so terrible. <laughs> Those like, have actually happened. One happened. Incidentally, one <laughs> happened at the University of Texas, which I just mentioned. Uh, happened, was it 2012 or 2013? You really have no clue how silly you sound because you totally disregard scale when you make points like that. It's like saying, hey, man, there's a plenty of people who drown in the fucking bathtub well, every year. What do you want to ban bathtubs? How is there not a variable scale? scale. How, how is there not a variable scale in mass shootings? They vary anywhere from two victims to 50. They, right. They vary by definition. Fucking picture, you, you if you situations. didn't have the guns we had, there would be significantly less deaths related to it. 
And you're trying to pretend like that's not the case, which is silly. I'm absolutely not pretending that it's that it's the case at all. But I am I am saying that you don't really get the results you're looking for, and you just wind up forfeiting your personal liberty in the process. All right, we are going to go momentarily to a word from our sponsor, followed by some uh, Streamlabs. We're going to uh, get the audience to weigh in a little on what they've seen so far and uh, pose questions to uh, Razor Fist or Kyle if they so uh, desire. Also, before that, we also have a few announcements. I want to let everyone know that down in the description below the video, there is a poll. It's a Twitter poll that you can vote on uh, regarding the debate. Uh, also, uh, link in the description, DP On Demand, 15% off. Go there. Uh, the new episode of Ask the Kirks is up and available for you to view. Um, oh, and for all of our patrons, our private show is occurring this Saturday. Uh, if you're not a patron already, you can become one now and still see it. Also, don't forget to like the stream and subscribe to our channel. Uh, that helps out a lot. Thanks. And we'll be right back in like 60 seconds. Here is something to chew on. Many recent studies suggest that having good oral health impacts your overall health, yet most of us don't brush our teeth properly. You can start brushing better today. Introducing Quip, the new company that's refreshing the way people brush their teeth. Starting at just $25, Quip is an electric toothbrush that packs premium vibration and timer features into an ultra-slim design that's half the cost of bulkier brushes. It's basically like Apple designed a toothbrush, but without the big price tag. You can even subscribe to receiving new brush heads on a dentist-recommended three-month plan for just $5, including free shipping. You have to see and brush with this brush for yourself. And right now, go to getquip.com forward slash peasants to get your first refill pack free with a Quip electric toothbrush. That's your first refill pack free at getquip.com forward slash peasants, G-E-T, Q-U-I-P dot com forward slash peasants. Welcome to the Drunken Peasants Podcast. All right. We are back. And I'll go ahead and open up Streamlabs. If you want to send in a comment or question or uh, just, you know. Whatever you, wanna, you want. <laughs> yeah. If you want to re in our direction, then uh, here's your chance. Are traps gay? Yeah. 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 I did a detailed answer of that, by the way, on my channel in the Q and A. So if any, don't bother asking that because Kyle has already <laughs> answered it in fucking detail. Uh, I'm going to step out for a moment, Ben. I'm going to let you take control of the the Streamlabs here for a second, and I'm going to be right, right back. I just have to get a drink and some stuff. More akin to dull open palm, your tired Dennis Miller shtick. Uh, what does it say? I'm having trouble reading because uh, it's so small on my screen. Oh, uh, pension for sucking Trump's Cheeto chode and wannabe Henry Rollins get up coalesce the suck. Uh, I didn't. I missed the rest of it because I had to stretch out my screen. It was too small. Hey, hey, wait! That that really hurts. Being compared to one of my primary inspirations, it hurts really hard. Who the fuck do you get confused with? The night manager at Denny's? Blow me. <laughs> Uh, Kyle, you disregarding the fact that the gun deaths were already low before the ban. Mass shootings were already low, and the gun deaths in Australia was trending downward to a constant rate. But every other country then. So, okay, Japan. You know, you go down the list. Situation. 
<laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm a I'm a sell out to Big Seltzer guys. Kyle Brovzlovsky. Unfortunately, I'm out of seltzer at the moment. I could really go for some. <clears throat> uh, so, Razorfist, how do you feel about Linda McMahon being in Trump's cabinet? Did you like that one? <laughs> no comment. Damn situation. <laughs> Yeah, I, I have no idea what that one was about. I, I think it was mainly because she's tried to run for Senate twice, and like a genius, she decided to run as a Republican in Connecticut. I, I, I want to respond to this one here. Okay. Okay, so I, I assume everybody's reading it who's listening, so I won't bother yeah. reading it, but um, that's actually a good point. So why why are we not going third party, and why are you trying to stay within the party? Well, the answer is closed primaries. And because the system is basically rigged against third parties. So yeah. you have to take over one of the parties with your ideology as opposed to trying to start a new one. Yeah, no, I agree. And and that's kind of the same reason you have people like Rand Paul who are effectively libertarians but are still Republican. Because they're they're attempting to effect a sea change in a party that's heading one direction, basically. And you, I have you, a lot more respect yeah, for Rand Paul than any virtually any other Republican. Real, real quick on the point the last guy made, he mentioned Chicago. It's, I'm happy he brought that up because I forgot to respond to that. The problem with Chicago is not the strict gun laws. The problem is that if you go to every neighboring state around it, they have massively lax gun laws. So people just go, get the guns where they can, and then go right back into Chicago. <laughs> so but that's the but that doesn't jive with the statistics because the vast majority sure of does. guns that are, that are used to commit homicides, and we're just talking nationwide here, not even in Chicago – are committed with uh, with guns that were just flat out purchased from the black market or taken from a friend or a family member. So it doesn't really – that would technically be so a then, legal purchase. So then why is it that places that actually have outright banned guns – and again, I'm not saying I'm in favor of that. But why is it that when, when places have outright banned them, like in Japan, they have virtually no gun deaths? Japan had virtually no gun deaths before they banned. Well, <laughs> and okay, and you see in places like uh, South Korea, for example, where they actually have quite a bit of crime, and they have an outright gun ban. But you know, it, it doesn't necessarily jive even <laughs> across all Asian nations. But I, I find I'm, I can't get over the fact that you're not conceding the point that it is demonstrably true that where there is gun regulation, there are lower uh, gun deaths. There's fewer gun deaths. There's less opportunity, yeah, but you wind up exchanging it for other methods. Is, I, okay, and I'm not denying what the statistics show. I'm not denying that you might have an uptick in petty crime, for example. I'm not necessarily denying that. And to be honest, I'm not familiar with the stats on that. But I don't. That doesn't seem intuitively ridiculous to me. I think you might have a point on that. But I was just saying the whole reason, like the whole point of the debate was TJ was asking, or the whole point of that question was TJ was asking, would you know doing gun regulation affect gun crime and so i was saying well yes obviously <laughs> no you you see a slight yeah i mean but you wind up extra like i said in in australia i know okay but i view that as you a, wind up doubling the amount of knife crime instead basically and, you know it's that, different you you that, you could affect you, you could have Murphy. fewer casualties i won't deny about that i mean obviously you can affect a lot more damage with a gun than with a knife Thank you, Admiral Murphy. He said, good luck on getting Manchin out. We're working on it, buddy. We're working. Paula Jean Swearingen, <laughs> Justice Democrat. Laserfish equals cuckboy for the right. Also sad my Benpai hasn't said much this episode. Less than heart, you babe. Thank you. 
Is TJ taking a shit? Uh, he's either doing that or smoking a cigarette. Yeah, or smoking weed. Would he smoke weed in the middle of the show? Probably, right? He probably would. He probably would right in front of the camera, but cigarettes, he's got to go outside for that, so there's a good chance he's doing that. I don't know for sure. He could be He could be pinching one off. <laughs> Does that... I, I'm, I'm, I always get paranoid when I smoke weed. I wonder how... Uh, that probably doesn't have him with TJ, right? He probably no. just... No. Pr pretty much none of us, like the regular hosts on this show, we, we pretty much are fine with it. Like, I don't get paranoid at all because it's totally legal where I live, and I don't know, it just, it doesn't affect me in that way, I guess. There's certain strains that make you more mellow and some that make you more, like, edgy, I would say. All right, I was just taking a shit, smoking a cigarette, and some uh, I <laughs> Oh, you heard it, okay. Yeah. I thought he was serious. I was listening on my phone. <laughs> yeah. But I so actually which, did which... do two of those things, so. Yep. Which two I'll leave up to your imagination. Someone Take asked SmackDown or Raw earlier, and you guys were too busy arguing about gun. Oh, oh. I like SmackDown more. Hmm. Scam? Six. I, I do. I don't know. I like Shinsuke Nakamura. I think his entrance is badass. Yeah, he's hey pretty Hey, guys, awesome. if you could dump a body anywhere in the world, where would you put it? FYI, underneath Giant Stadium has already been taken. <laughs> That's a really good question. Probably in your, under your, like, basement because you got to hide in plain sight i always thought it was cool how the uh, trinity killer and dexter would uh, hide them in the new construction newly constructed houses the foundations yeah hey kyle you had to knock off like two-thirds of your gun homicides by removing suicides but i'd like to know the figure on gun homicides that are in defense and how many of non-defensive homicides are performed by illegally obtained firearms yeah unfortunately i don't know the numbers on that but just so this person knows I, it's not like, like I admitted that up front. Like I said up front, it's like 10 or 11,000 homicides and 32,000 or 33,000 gun deaths. So that's not, it's not like I was like trying to say it's 32 or 33,000 homicides. That might I be how totally they interpreted it, but then they guys, weren't listening. Also, to Kyle me. and Razor, who would top? Who would be on top if you guys had sex? <laughs> <laughs> no, no offense, Razor, but I don't even want to entertain that question. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, yeah, I, 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 yeah, well, I don't know. You'd probably uh, sit in the corner and sob while I nailed your girl. I don't know. Damn. Sure. Oh. Kyle, are you still defending? That was, yeah. Sign. That I'm was, asking because my that was almost keep witty. the acrimony up. Do I still, of course, I fucking Jill defend Stein. my vote for Jill Stein. I live in New York. I've, my vote didn't fucking matter. So, of course, I'm going to vote for the person who I agree with more. There you go. I voted for Jill, too. Yeah, if I was in fucking Ohio or a swing state, I, was, I wouldn't have voted for Jill. That's I did vote for Jill, and I voted in Ohio. So, <laughs> yeah. That's funny that I used that example, not even yeah, what yeah. was trying to get at with guns as you were trading in personal liberties for a statistically insignificant decrease in overall crime across the board okay. or murders to different weapons. To let, me let, me, let me address that real quick, because this idea that, oh, it's just personal liberty. Well, no, because everybody agrees there's a line somewhere when it comes to weapons. Everybody. So I'm sure Razor doesn't think that somebody should be able to have a fucking nuke or a chemical weapon or RPG or a fucking tank. So if he's not in favor of those things being easily bought, well, does that mean that he's against personal liberty? No, which is uh, this person here wants to know if Switzerland's low homicide rate and their high gun ownership rate means that the gun problem is more of a culture problem rather than a gun problem. There's certainly an aspect of it that's a culture problem. But I don't. I think it's silly to deny the other part of it, which is definitely just the availability of the guns. It's a matter. It's a matter of degree and how much is in each thing. 
Uh, opinions on news media influence and how we view both sides of the calamity that is the American party system. Shit show. Yeah. And the news media sucks. I, I already alluded to it. The corporate ownership has, look, I mean, up until recently, NBC News was owned by General Electric. We know they donate to both political parties. You know, look, these these companies that are reporting the news are owned by corporations that have a vested interest in one person winning or another. Uh, Razor Fist, someone wants to know if you think silencers should be uh, banned. You know, I'm not big into suppressors personally, but, you know, whatever. They're not really silencers, first off. That's kind of a misnomer. They're suppressors. They still make a really loud noise. I, I'm not crazy about suppressors. Yeah, it's not like in the movies where it, yeah, it, it's, it's definitely totally not. like a little whisper, like, <laughs> Always good to see Kyle on the show. I agree. Thanks, Brunetto. Thank you. I like seeing either of these thank guys. Thank you, Brunetto. Both and thank you, TJ. <clears throat> I do, uh, full disclosure, I do tend to agree with Kyle on uh, on more than I do Razor, but, you know, that's that's all good. I like disagreeing with people, too. Typical liberal media. I know, Salt right? Salting the conservative on the show. Scams. I didn't do nothing. I'm, I'm just staying out of it. I'm kidding. Guns and knives are overrated. Trucks of peace are the new regime. I think one thing missing mentioned is the underlying fact that humans have a propensity towards violence regardless. A gun is a tool, same as anything else, to fix mental health in USA. I really want to ask all these people, though, what exactly are you in favor of? Because, again, they're not in favor of people having fucking nukes and biological weapons and chemical weapons and RPGs and Gatling guns. So then the question is, where do you draw the line? Like, are these people in favor of background checks? Like... You know, they, someone gave us 66 bucks, so we better answer their question. Yeah, hey, Kyle, <laughs> first candidate run by Justice Dem is Cori Bush, yeah. who stated first she is an advocate for social justice. Could you please tell me why I should trust my support to a movement sure. like SJW, given their horrendous advocacy and actions? No, no, no. So that's both a good question and a terrible question. It's a good question because it's totally legitimate to say, whoa, 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 what's up when these people refer to social justice? It's a bad question because at the end they're tipping their hat saying, this is a social justice warrior. Look, when a, when a, you know, 30-something, when a 30-something-year-old black woman who is a working person refers to social justice, she's not referring to the online college campus authoritarian left assholes who want to censor Ben Shapiro giving a speech. She's talking about, like, hey, we should end the drug war because 18 people I know are fucking locked up because they were caught with weed. So when she refers to social justice, she doesn't have the pejorative in her mind of social justice warrior. She's talking about, like, we should end the drug war and get rid of mandatory minimums. It's all about the fucking platform. That's what these people fight for, those policies. <clears throat> we got about where Ben Shapiro calls out the right more than Sargon of Akkad and Dave Rubin put together. I guess that's just an observation. <laughs> they just wanted to toss that into the ring. <laughs> Got let's about fun. six minutes of uh, Streamlabs time left on the time. Okay, well, let's let's Damn. keep it going. 18% of gun murder was committed by legal gun owners. Most was illegal or obtained by other means. I voted Kyle and poll, by the way. Yeah, there's a <laughs> well, lot the of The debate people, isn't even over yet, so you might want to wait. There's a lot of people who, um, you know, like they've, they've expressed this. Hey, we agree with Justice Democrats, but we don't necessarily agree with guns. And what I would, you know, implore everybody is just understand, like I said, I'm talking about basics or the things I'm in favor of. I tried to stress, I'm not in favor of banning fucking guns, man. I know I get it's a cultural thing and everything, and I get that there's going to be a certain number of deaths no matter what, unless we ban them. And I'm not in favor of banning them. We have the Second Amendment. All right, so super quickly, uh, Joe Arpaio. Pardon. Sc scumbag? <laughs> Guy who was elected four times, something like that. Very, very popular politician. Uh, Dude, he's a criminal. 
He was convicted. He was convicted of misdemeanor contempt of a court ruling that was later overruled by the Supreme Court. And also the investigation into him said that it was the most egregious, obvious case of textbook discrimination. The investigation discrimination never turned in its final result and still All right, has so hold on. So even after wasting socialism, hundreds of millions said, of your tax quickly. dollars. I said quickly. I said quickly. <laughs> Socialism's already been tried. They they say that uh, has it ever been tried with today's level of abundance, factory farming to feed everyone in listen, you know, they want to know if, if it really makes sense to decry socialism in a modern context when things have changed. Not real socialism, the post. Razorfish, are you you aren't the rock. Stop with the eyebrow bullshit. Also, Chicago's guns aren't coming from other states. It's from Illinois itself, literally out of the city border. Hashtag bring back Jeff. Jeff's oh, coming I back see what Friday. they're saying. So they're saying the lax gun laws are also in Illinois, just not there. Yeah, they're saying. Yeah. Illinois itself doesn't actually have that rigid of gun control. It's primarily right. a municipal thing located in Chicago. Uh, Pete, so this guy wants to have. Uh, this guy has a kind of a sci-fi question. If you had to give one of the three branches of government over to an objective supercomputer, which would it be? Oh, that's a good question. I say legislative. I know it's not for me, but I I was kind of leaning legislative. I think then, where you want the most objectivity you, is in the unelected office with the Supreme then, Court. Then you think I was going to say then judicial's close with legislative, like yeah. Kyle and Razor, what are your thoughts on liberal progressives in California now decriminalizing intentionally giving someone HIV? I'm genuinely worried for my gay brother's safety. You know, I saw the headlines on that, and I didn't read the articles, but I got a hunch that something's a little misleading in that story. Yeah, as do I, for the record. Um, yeah. But like, I, I, I actually looked into it, and it is kind of disturbing. Well, the, 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 the logic being used there— is that uh, no other disease is criminalized in that way. But my thing is like, well, you're going the wrong way with this. It gi giving Knowingly giving someone any dangerous disease yeah. should be a fucking crime. Yeah, apparently um, we need to decriminalize Suge Knight. I don't, I don't would know. a type of government take over... Oh, I'm sorry, I missed that one. I, I got it. They said, would a type of government take over... Would a, if you ban guns, would that lead to a type of government takeover? And my answer to that is no, because even with even though we have all our guns, they're the ones <laughs> isn't the nukes. government already in control? I mean, they're the government already. What, what are they the going to take over? But I think they mean like police state. To which I would respond, sure. though, like they have the nukes and they have they really do have, and I'm sure Razor would agree with this. They have a monopoly on violence in a way that's on another level. So you can't compete with them with your Ruger 22 against their nukes. Gun stores in other states are not legally allowed to sell guns to people from states such as Chicago. Well, Chicago is not a state because it would be impeding on the state's law and gun stores out of state selling blah, blah, blah. Well, number one, that person is denying that there are many people who are unscrupulous. And then number two, that goes right back to the point the other person made that they just go outside of the city and get them in Illinois. So, yeah, go away. It's not crime in all of Illinois. <laughs> Kyle, don't take my guns, liberal cuck. Fuck I'm you. I'm gonna take your guns. Spread your butt cheeks. So beautiful. We got about two minutes left. What I don't, what I don't understand is the overlap between the Trump is a little fascist people and the gun people. <laughs> it's like I'm not, I'm not doing jumping jacks for joy at the prospect of handing my guns to the government, but I'm also not arguing that the government is run by literal Mussolini. Yeah, but dude, yeah. like the the number of people who are actually for banning guns in America is nearly non-existent. It, it really, no, and I a, understand. This that. is a person saying that uh, Kyle needs to check his anger. 
and let Razor speak his piece. Oh, wow. All right. Look, man, I, I, the only time I interjected, and I apologize for that, Razor, I don't want to cut you off at any point and be unfair. It was just when I thought, like, you really misstated something I was trying to say, and I wanted to correct it. Well, that's why I went ahead and let, you know, Sam let that one be restarted. Hey, I'm not Sargon. trying to be a dick, for, for the record, everybody. Sargon's not here. Don't worry about Sargon. <laughs> Sargon, what's your position? I'm gonna, what? <laughs> <laughs> that makes no sense. I think that's actually a reference to Sargon's <clears throat> appearance on this uh, this show, but I could be mistaken because I actually uh, we when when we asked Sargon if he believed in climate change, he was like, I don't know, just haven't looked into it much. He said that to me too in a yeah. talk I did with him, and I was like, what? Maybe he should maybe he should look into that at some point. I believe American patriotism takes uh, on a very religious notion, such as allegiance to the flag. I believe guns take on the same patriotism with religious notion because, and that's why it's hard to re uh, reform. I think that's it's def there's definitely accurate. a huge cultural thing in America, yeah, with guns. I don't know. I've never taken a 45 caliber communion with my fucking Ruger. I don't. I don't think. I don't, I'm not sure. I I buy that necessarily. Hell, I I don't think. I think you'd have an issue saying it's religious when most people don't even clean their guns enough. Well, deeply cultural, I think, is a better way of putting it. Razor Fist uses too many ad hominem attacks. Try using facts. Says Frack Skull. I, I don't. I don't remember attacking him with an ad hominem, but okay. Yeah, I, I think it's been pretty fucking cordial given the level of disagreement I mean, I mean, you guys have on some issues. So Kyle did call Razorfish sweetheart, so I think they're even more than cordial at this point. <laughs> there you go. It's, it's I, well, that was Sorry, my tactic from, from the opening, was to distract him with my feminine wiles. <laughs> Kyle has been right about everything so far. He's clearly done his research. There's another. Oh, this person even calls themselves Go Kyle. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> go. go Kyle, go! So everyone, stop sending them in. We'll get the stragglers really quick, but then we got to get back into it. Yeah. So no more, no more, folks. We're gonna get, we're gonna get the re little remainder cleared out, and then we're gonna move on to the remainder of this debate. Scam situation. Stephanie Landry is my beautiful lover. I love her. Also, Razor Fist drinks gallons of sperm. He's a fuck who deserves <laughs> to, be butt to get butt fucked in his fart pussy like the little girl he is. Razor, you want to take that? <laughs> I, I knew it was a mistake getting that fart pussy surgery. And Wait, a... can we just reflect on he's a fuck? I've never heard that before. <laughs> he's a fuck. He's a fuck. <laughs> I've never heard anything phrased like that before. I'm going to start using that. Hey, Kyle, the first candidate run by, oh, this person already asked this question, so. Uh, your question has already been answered. I don't know why you submitted it once again. Well, they want to give you more money, man. I guess. Thanks for the double, the double dipping. Yeah, no complaints there. Yeah, I'd be uh, I'd be a fool to complain about that. So, how, do, we, do we have any uh, more stragglers left, Ben, or is that it? I'll oh. check right now. Um, no, I think. Oh, hold on. Great, I will finish it Thursday during my commute. Okay. Good Fair night. Fair. Night, high Q King. I'm so trying to. I'm trying to find the latest one really quick. Um, yeah, I think there's... I think that might be it. I too many more, we might just have to cut some off, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, we may just have to do that. I'll let a couple more come in until Razor gets back. Okay. Most important question, are traps gay? Great to see an impartial moderator here putting ideology aside. I'm, I'm, trying, to, I'm trying to do that. I'm trying to forget what I think and just let these guys go at it as best as, uh, as possible. Yeah. Not, you've, you've spoken, sexually. you've spoken less than I've ever heard you speak. 
That's true. Sometimes it's painful. Like there was, there have been some yeah. times where I'm like, I'm gonna jump in. No, oh, I'm not gonna do it. I'm not gonna do it. Scam. Yeah, because I know. I'll even you tell you. That what, thing I'll that even I tell you the thing that fucking really did it for me is when when uh, Razor was like talking about, you know, if people on the ground had had guns at the Las Vegas thing, maybe I was like, they were that dude was in a hotel. It was filled with One, people. Two, you really want people four. opening fire on the hotel? That doesn't make any fucking sense. What is this person talking about? But you make many disin. Somebody's saying I make disingenuous arguments, and they bring up the judicial branch. I didn't say anything about the judicial branch other than uh, Gorsuch is conservative. That's all right. right. This is going to be the last one we're going to let come through. Yeah, because there's like at least twenty of them. Uh, yeah, sorry guys. Yeah, hey, Razor Fist, how can you call yourself socially liberal and a libertarian when you disagree with freedom of movement? I have no idea what you mean. What do you mean? It, it, I think they might be talking about immigration, which is a good segue. Oh. Into our immigration segment here. That, that is what they mean. So uh, right. go ahead and turn those off, Ben. Uh, we're going to go ahead and get on with this debate here. We have uh, this is a very big issue. It's been a big issue for the last uh, year or so, ever since Trump uh, made it a big issue on his campaign trail. I would say the the, the key issue of the Trump campaign, really. Uh, and uh, this one's going to Razor first. Should the wall be built, and how do you assess the issue of uh, immigration? In America, I was going to limit that just to Mexican and South American immigration, but you can just talk about immigration in general, general, including the refugee and the Muslim ban or whatever you want to get into pertaining to that issue. So I'm going to go ahead and hand it off to Razor in five, four, three, two. Oh, okay. Uh, well, look, I, I consider the wall kind of immaterial, more of a ceremonial centerpiece uh, that is much less important than the multi-pronged approach to added immigration enforcement in general. And and that's just to enforce the laws we already have, mind you. That's not even making any new ones. Like To me, untrammeled and even misguidedly regulated illegal immigration, a la the DREAM Act or DACA, has over the past half century generated more misery, monetary crises, even outright death across both sides of the border. And here's the part the left don't like to talk about. Both sides of the border is where this occurs. Then any of this kind of poison-palmed largesse that was actually intended to ameliorate the problem to begin with. Look, this is my issue with a progressive position on immigration. They're fully erect to the prospect of throwing money at the problem but actually rolling up their sleeves and addressing the issue on the ground, like, not so much. Like, hell, even Habitat for Humanity, you know, Jimmy Carter, I'm surprised he hasn't dislocated his own shoulder, patting himself on the back for founding that one. Uh, does He did the vast majority of his work, not in the, in the United States, actually, and in other South American nations, not in Mexico. And the reason why is simple. When you actually kind of plant your ass on a plane and get down there, you realize illegal immigration ain't working out for Mexico any better than it is for us. Like, I don't see how Jimmy Carter could maintain his present position on illegal immigration while standing in front of a shantytown built on, you know, they're building their houses out of fallen down billboards on literal mountains of trash in the feedback loop of misery that his policies objectively helped to create. I mean, it's, it's bad enough in the states where According to Pew Research and the Center for Immigration Studies, well over half of all illegal immigrants are on government welfare and an even higher percentage are on food stamps, all while paying no income tax, mind you, the vast majority of them, because they are usually paid under the table as farm hands, construction workers, and the like. But by all means, like, to bring it back to Mexico and the Mexican side of the border, which is the one no one wants to talk about, the Mexican government is corrupt. 
period. You don't have drug cartels putting out hits on police chiefs and even mayors and actually carrying out the hits without anything resembling reprisal without someone being on the take. Mexico requires either a revolution or a reform so radical it could easily be mistaken for one, which is why endlessly corrupt Mexican politicians like uh, the avowed never-Trumper Vicente Fox have continually used the border with Mexico as a kind of political pressure release valve. In any country that bordered one that, unlike us, actually enforced its immigration law, it would have happened already because every assassination, every warehouse, I mean, that turns up with dismembered torsos of civilians who spoke out against the Zetas or some other cartel, the pressure would build and build and eventually it would just explode. But with the happy relationship between corrupt Mexican officials and previous administrations, both Republican and Democrat for the record, every time that pressure would build, every time a mass hanging would be orchestrated to terrify a local populace into submission, instead of building that pressure, they just popped the lid on that U.S.-Mexico border and like steam escaping from a chamber pot, revolution was immediately averted. Or reform, again, that's that's the preferable one. I mean, if, if the left, as they so often love to do, want to make it a humanitarian issue, I say by all means, let's make it a humanitarian issue. Because for every one family that's able to escape the crushing cartel violence and live in, let's be honest, an elevated form of poverty as an under-the-table wage slave in the United States, how many families lacking the means to depart have to remain in Mexico in mounting violence and instability, and how much does each illegal emigration deepen the omnipresent misery? I mean, I've, I've been there, I volunteered. The left are absolutely right. They're amazing and generous, hardworking people. What, when I went there in 2001, there was violence in the streets. Fast forward to 2017, there's violence everywhere. City hall, assassinated policemen, politicians, police chiefs. A half century of unchecked illegal immigration helped ensure that will never change. I mean, if you voted for Obama, if you voted for Bush, Clinton, Reagan, Pat yourself on the back. You kind of helped that to happen. If you want to help Mexico, you have to stop playing kingmaker. You have to stop confusing the government with a philanthropic organization, enforce the laws that are already on the books, slam shut the border for seconds. a bit, and let Mexico turn themselves. I'm sorry, am I running afoul of the time limit? No, 30 seconds you got. Okay. And you kind of have to let Mexico turn themselves into the great nation their surfeit of natural gas mining and farming reserves should have allowed them to be a long time ago if they hadn't been slaved to the will of tin horn robber barons so sorry i'll wrap it up on that one kyle same question um it's about the wall it's about uh, immigration you can continue on the just the mexican and sure. south american immigration or you can bring in the uh, other immigration issues that are uh, sort of paramount right now as well, if you wish. Sure. Okay. So first of all, you know, I think um, it sounds like you have more of an issue with the drug war than anything else, but we can put that aside and talk about that later when I'm done with my spiel here. Uh, and if that indeed is the case, then we have a lot more agreement than disagreement. But I might surprise everybody a little bit here, um, except maybe TJ, because I think I said this to you one of the times I was on DP the last time, maybe two times ago or something. On the issue of the wall... I am just massively indifferent because it is just symbolic bullshit. That's all it is. It's not going to make anything safer. It's not going to make anything less safe. It's just a wall. It's just the same as a fucking fence between you and your neighbor. That's all it is. So I do find it a little silly when uh, people on the left act like it's such an egregious thing. But I also find it silly when people on the right act like it is, you know, it's an important thing that's really, <laughs> really going to make a difference. 
So, you know, I'm just utterly indifferent towards it. You know, if I'm president, I wouldn't actively, uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't build it, but I wouldn't care if it was built. It's just whatever. But okay, anyway, that's the wall. To the broader question of immigration, this is one where I'm not at totally agnostic. On the question of immigration, um, there are a lot of inconvenient facts that I think the right likes to pretty much ignore. So um, this is an article from The Hill from last year. They said, quote, immigrants commit crimes and are incarcerated at a much lower rate than U.S. citizens, according to two separate studies released this week. A study by the Sentencing Project, a criminal justice research and adv advocacy group, found that foreign-born residents of the United States commit less, uh, commit crime less often than native-born citizens. And then there was another study by the Libertarian Cato Institute which compares incarceration rates by migratory status, ethnicity, and gender. And they say, quote, all immigrants are less likely to be incarcerated than natives relative to their shares of the population. Among people age 18 to 54, 1.53% of natives are incarcerated, as are 0.85% of undocumented immigrants and 0.47% of documented immigrants, according to the Cato study of comparative incarceration rates. So that's point number one, is that they actually... Uh, commit less crime. Now, the Pew Research Center in 2014 also uh, found the following, quote, more Mexicans are leaving than coming to the U.S. So there's a net loss of 140,000 immigrants coming from Mexico and South America, um, a loss of 140,000 from 2009 to 2014. Now, I admittedly don't know this, the updated statistics on that. I haven't seen any articles on that. But for 2009 to 2014, a net loss of 140,000. And then two other quick facts. I don't know how much more time I have, but I'll try to make it brief. Two um, minutes. Okay, then I got plenty of time. PolitiFact uh, found the following, quote, undocumented immigrants pay $12 billion of taxes every single year in state and local taxes. And then CNN Money, quote, undocumented immigrants do not qualify for welfare, food stamps, Medicaid, and most other public benefits. Most of these programs require proof of legal immigration status, and under the 1996 welfare law, even legal immigrants cannot receive these benefits until they have been in the United States for more than five years. So my main contention is this. Most of like the you know people flipping out about immigrants that comes from the right, basically what's happened what happened is they're chumps. And they've fallen for the oldest trick in the book. What elites do is they scapegoat immigrants for your problems so that you don't blame elites. It's getting people who are on the middle of the economic ladder to look at the people below them on the economic ladder and blame them for all their problems. And that's my contention is that it's basically a total red herring by elites to try to make middle class people think the people they really hate are poor immigrants and not them. And that's it. <clears throat> All right, I'm going to open it up for some free-form discussion there. Razor, you go ahead and start. Well, at the, at the end of the day, crime is really immaterial. Like, I, I've never really argued, and I don't really fall down on the side of the argument of, oh, they're coming here to murder everyone. Yeah, you'll have the odd outlier where it's, oh, this guy kills this guy. and us But usually you're talking about somebody who is an illegal immigrant in the sense that it's like a cartel operative who jumped the border and obviously had to illegally and what. And to me... I concede the left's point that those are outliers, right? To me, crime is not the operative issue. The issue is the caustic effect on our neighborhoods, the caustic effect. I mean, you cannot go to border towns, San Antonio. You can't go to Tucson, South Tucson, even South Phoenix. Phoenix isn't even a border town. 
you know, we're several hours north of the border. And e even there, the more the closer you get to the border, um, the worse it gets. And it is kind of a uh, it, it comes with the low e economic circumstances that a lot of uh, illegal aliens uh, come from. And of course, that trickles down into everything, and you wind up paying for that one way or another. I would also add, you know, <laughs> citing that article about, well, illegal aliens don't qualify for welfare. Well, yes, of course they don't, until they steal someone's identity. Do you think it's coincidental that the higher illegal aliens uh, and illegal immigration spikes, identity theft also goes up? They steal other people's social security numbers. It happens all the time. But I think it's a an absolute minute tiny drop in the bucket compared to any other problem we would point to no just look at uh look at the case with target a few years ago uh the the woman who was skimming credit cards at target this was a big story it stole a bunch of people's financial information uh woman turned out to be an illegal alien who was selling people's information to other illegal aliens it was part of an identity theft ring so the illegal immigration and identity theft they are forever linked. That is, that is, there's clearly a connection there. And yeah, but don't you think, like, what percentage, though? Uh, identity, or they won't even steal someone's social security number. Sometimes they'll just pluck it from thin air. Like, but, I, I, had a, I had a friend who had a social security number. I won't reveal it, obviously, but it was really, like, easy to pluck from What was that air. number again? <laughs> I know, right? It was, it was really easy to, like, just think of it, you know, like, pluck a number from thin air and it would be that number. And they had like something like 25, 30 different people, all illegal immigrants, um, and and they were all using uh, their their social security number. You but know, I don't see already invested in welfare. They'd already invested in food stamps. But she, what percentage? This is see. This is like we're discussing a non-problem because ninety-nine point however many percent of uh, undocumented immigrants are literally here to try to make a better life for themselves and their families. No, and I agree, that's their core motivation, but in order to actually invest in regular government services, sometimes to do basic things, they have to have some kind of documentation, and so they wind up going to these identity theft rings or, you know, getting but, in touch with someone so, who has... You're almost making a case for, for uh, amnesty, though, because the solution to that would be amnesty. <laughs> well, it, it would be if, at the end of the day, that wasn't going to hurt our neighborhoods even more, because this... Okay. Again, what, this, I, don't, this I don't know what that means. What problem. does that mean when you say it hurts our neighborhoods? I genuinely don't know what that means. If you well, said crime's not an issue, someone, you said that. Well, look, you're, you're talking to someone who grew up in South Phoenix. I witnessed we there was a, a freeway being completed when I was growing up that connected us uh, sort of circuitously to Tucson. And uh, when that was completed, within four years, uh, the neighborhood went completely downhill. Uh, it went got to the point where the woman across the street behaving kind of oddly we wind up moving right we, because it got so bad there were literal sh like standoffs with police uh with the woman across the street we finally go and uh we're watching the news one day in the in the new neighborhood and the woman's been gassed out of her house after a standoff with police uh turned out she was running drugs and illegal aliens across the border okay but again so this goes back to the main point that we agree on though which is the yeah. problem is the drug war it's not the undocumented immigration <laughs> but this person was running illegal immigrants as well. So you're kind of cherry picking which one you say is is wrong. She had she had an entire they actually did an entire multi-part news special on it where they went through her house and saw all the compartments where the illegals would hole up and so forth. It, it goes hand in hand. You have so, to understand, well, like illegal immigration. And I mean, a lot of these people are actually brought in. 
by people who are in some way connected with cartels. Coyotes a lot of times have connections with cartels. But when you say like the quality of your neighborhood goes down, if you also admit, as you did, that crime is a relatively tiny issue, then I don't see how you can make the connection between the Ill the illegal immigration or undocumented immigration and your neighborhood going to shit. You see what I'm saying? Absolutely. If you admit the no, first no, no, thing, look. I don't know how the second thing logically follows. Crime's not okay. that big of an S issue. Simple. Uh, okay. Simple. Pro property values, you would agree, are affected by school performance? Yeah, but property value, that they make that argument with homeless people too. Like, oh, don't, you're not allowed to feed homeless people here because property value. Okay, like, and that's lovely, but that, that has those nothing, people need to fucking eat. That, that's lovely, but that's ultimately immaterial to the argument. If, if no, it's the not. Quality it's exactly schools, material to it. <laughs> no, look, if, if the quality of schools affects property values, if it affects everything around it, you're winding up integrating, or rather not, really not integrating, an entire segment of the population that has English as a second language if they have it as a language at all. Like, look, immigration was intended originally to have peaks and valleys. If we rendered like legal immigration levels as an audiograph over the years, the most productive generations, you know, the Industrial Revolution, World War II and the like, they'd be represented by brief spikes followed by a lull. And then a few years later, they'd allow another spike, then another lull. Instead, ever since the enactment of Ted Kennedy's uh, Immigration Act of the 1960s, like it's been one long perpetual Black Sabbath being produced by Rick Rubin audio spike, you know, that hasn't calmed one iota in the intervening decades. Uh, the operative logic was that they were supposed to be giving each generation of immigrants time to coalesce, to integrate, in lieu of just throwing nine tetrillion disparate ingredients into a fondue pot and pretending we just made chili. You know what I mean? Like, if you want to solve an awful lot of ethnic uh, tension, I think well, hamstringing or overturning the 1965 Immigration Act is probably step uno. You, you need to give these populations time to integrate, and then you need to throw open the borders again, and then shut them for a while. Okay, so, so first we, of all— can we, can we talk about the uh, the refugee and the, uh, the travel ban stuff a little bit? I'll, I'll bring that up. I'll bring that up in a second. Okay. Um, but to address your point, is integration preferable to having immigrants come in the country and then them living in segregated pockets? I 100% agree with you that integration is preferable to people living in segregated uh, pockets. But there's still a, a broader problem, though, with the economic argument that you're making. Because fundamentally, when you bring up the property value and shit, that's a, that's a fundamental uh, economic argument. And the problem with that is Alabama actually implemented the toughest immigration law in the U.S. in, I think it was 2010 or 2011. And what happened is it was on the books for, I think, seven months. And then they said, fuck this, we got to get rid of it because their economy suffered gigantically in fact there were all these issues where because they had to like check everybody's papers when they pulled them over and it was very draconian and it was basically a, a version of self-deportation where they make the conditions so shitty for undocumented immigrants that they want to leave and what happened is they first of all they pissed off the business community because they actually there were some immigrants who were business uh, owners who were trying to open plants there and they gave them a hard time and that was a problem but then furthermore all the, the farming that goes on, all the industrial work, they found that you didn't have people to replace the undocumented immigrants. So they had this really, really strict uh, anti-immigration law, and then they got rid of it. And they were like, we can't have that because it fucks up our economy. So I think the net benefits <clears throat> of having immigrants is, is so much more than the negatives. And then to address uh, what TJ wants us to talk about here, um, yeah, the travel ban, it just strikes me. You're, you're a, it's a non-issue because we already have sufficient laws. So, for example, when it comes to refugees, okay, 
we take relatively so few refugees compared to the rest of the modern world. Now, I don't necessarily disagree with that. I think there is it, it's a not a bigoted conversation to say, hey, how many refugees should we take? Like there's a line like how many should we take? How many can we handle? You know, like how can we how is this workable? But uh, the refugees we take literally over 80 percent of them that come from the Middle East. And I think in this case, specifically Syria are women and children. So you're not talking about something that's a security risk. And then furthermore, I love how Trump always said you're in the campaign, extreme vetting. We have to extreme vetting, extreme. And But here's the problem with that. Hey, asshole, we already fucking do it. The U.S. has the most rigorous, strict vetting process in existence in the modern world. We have multiple different government agencies involved. We have something called biometric screening. They go through government records from other fucking countries. I mean— we're talking about it takes on average about a year before a refugee gets into this country. So basically the point is we already have extreme vetting and the people who we're letting in are overwhelmingly women and children. So the idea of like doing a Trump style, like you said on the campaign trail, a total and complete shutdown of Muslims, that's just stupid. Like you're just an idiot if you make that point. <clears throat> Razor. I, you know, we're talking about a situation born from something that is just – momentary necessity you know the refugee crisis is just that it's a crisis if it's ephemeral then who really cares if you're momentarily reducing the amount of middle eastern immigration he's just taking the same privilege people like every president throughout history took you don't like i said there used to be peaks and valleys in immigration i don't i do not see the problem with saying hey there's a lot of crap going on in this region of the world. Maybe we don't want to bring in that many people from over there be, especially when they're places where we're bombing it's not terribly wise to bomb the ever-living shit out of Syria and then say, hey, let's take in a bunch of Syria's population. They don't – a lot of – Even the given the fact – of them don't have the same kind of culture, the same religion, beliefs, social beliefs, and so forth already. That's already a fairly insurmountable hurdle. And now we've just dropped drone strikes on their heads as well. That's not exactly a recipe for civic harmony. Even given what, given what I told you here, that it's 80% women and children and that they have to wait a year on average before they get in here and that there's rigorous background checks, even then you say people who are starving in the middle of a fucking civil war, we shouldn't let in to give a chance have, at a better life? Have you seen some of the live footage of the women and children on the borders of France and Germany? We're not, we're, no, 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 That's a bullshit women. argument because we're not France. We're not France. We're not Europe. They have much weaker immigration, and you could say they're wrong for that, and I'd agree with you. I just told you ours is a rigorous system. So the question is, with the system we have in place right now, is it wrong to say, hey, you know what, maybe some people from no, Syria— No, to, to, to agree with your premise, we have to agree that it's rigorous, and you have yet to establish that fact. No, 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 but it is a fact, and I described it. You could reject it, but you would be incorrect in rejecting it. You would be factually wrong. No, no, no. If your argument is that our immigration system is rigorous because no, people have to No, refugee vetting system, I said. Refugee vetting system. Okay, what, what does it entail? I just told you, multiple different government agencies are involved. They do biometric screening. You have – it's a year on average before they can get in here. It's very I, rigorous. There is no Ellis Island. Like, it's not even as rigorous as Ellis Island. So, in other words, you're just going to deny the fact I said by I, being I absolutely pissed. deny that it is difficult to emigrate here. I, I do I, have – Okay, however, you're changing say, the conversation. I said refugee vetting. You keep saying immigration. I'm not saying immigration. I'm saying refugee vetting. Well, especially when, for example, if it, if it took over a year, the Syrian refugee crisis has been going on around that uh, about that long. 
in Europe. Obama, I know, but we've been taking in refugees that long. Obama Not put those refugees on the fast track to coming here, so clearly he didn't take a year. Okay, you are playing quick and loose with the facts. So first of all, Europe, you're right, Europe has a refugee crisis. They have a refugee crisis because they don't have the same kind of rigorous vetting system that we have here. We do have that system. The debate that we're having as to how many refugees to let in, it ranges between zero and at the very most, 100,000, but most liberals are for 50,000, okay? In places like Germany have taken in millions, bitch. So with you, 50,000 fucking highly vetted women and children, that's stupid. That's an idiotic- Highly vetted bearded women and children. You're absolutely correct. Again, you're making that up. You're totally making that up. Yeah, no, no, and I'm making up all the camera footage of the refugees with beards in that are clearly Europe. pretending to be women and children. Europe. I'm absolutely- Europe. And I'm sure, and I'm sure Obama was really impelled to vet those refugees when he didn't even take the year you claimed that he took. Because he absolutely shipped in several thousand refugees. If he, t if he was taking a year, he didn't even have a year to vet them. So when did that, where did that come from? Dude, what are you babbling about? Listen, that's the law. The refugee vetting process, it takes about a year on average. And if you don't believe me, TJ, g give me a fact check because that's, I guarantee you that's the case. I've covered the article 13 fucking times in 13 different segments. So if your strategy is to sit there and deny the objective reality of the situation of our refugee vetting process, then you are losing probably even in your own mind, even though you won't admit it. Oh, okay. Well, here's the thing. Your metric was we wait a year to vet them, correct? Oh, it's not waiting a year to vet them. It's the process of vetting them takes a year. Exactly. So if we are vetting them properly, then we shouldn't have seen these refugees until now, correct? Because it's a year later. Dude. Do I have to explain what? the concept of time to you? <laughs> what are you saying? You sound ridiculous. I don't even understand what you're saying. You're saying because I saw a fucking video of people coming over on a boat and it hadn't even been a year since that was... I, dude, that law, the, ex the extreme vetting that Trump wants so dearly, that's been the law since like 2010 or something. It's been Basic for a long time. Has been the law, and and I don't understand. Look, his his idea of what extreme vetting is is fairly vague and, and amorphous. Anyways, he hasn't even spelled out exactly what it is. So he I had don't know. a total a total and complete shutdown of Muslims. Now, of course, he's had to back off that because he's run into constitutional problems with that. But that was his idea on the campaign trail: a quote, total and complete shutdown of Muslims. No, a, a quote, total and complete shutdown of immigration from the Middle East, from countries, namely, that were bombing. Of Muslims. He said Muslims. In this speech, he said Muslims. A total <laughs> and complete shutdown of Muslims. See I, I, see, I just don't understand how you can cherry pick that when on other occasions he said Middle East. Him. No, exactly. And so am I. Here's the thing. So am I. I'm, you're going to make me pull up his website and read you the quote, and then you're still going to go, yeah, but on another time he said this. Because that's my entire point. He said two different things. We, I just said at the beginning of this entire debate that Trump can be amorphous on his positions, did I not? Right, he can be a contradictory hypocrite is another way of saying that. That's true. <laughs> so in other words, he's a politician, um, which you would defend if there was a D next to his name. Right. Uh, actually, that is completely preposterous because I spent the entire fucking primary and general election shitting on Hillary Clinton. So okay. you should probably learn a thing or two about my show before you say such ridiculous things. I, that was not <laughs> look. That was not. I knew this. Uh, I knew this one was going to be gold, dude. I knew the. I knew this was the. The. 
The fact that he thinks I'm a defender of any Democrat when I literally co-founded an organization to primary the Democratic Party is like... Uh, By the way, Kyle, you've you've twice made... uh, You twice tried to get me to fact check... Uh, yeah. I, you know, in the I, this is kind of the first debate we've done in a while. In the future, I will have a fact checker on stand. Well, I didn't arrange for that this time, so I'm sorry. I can uh, tweet out the articles. I remember the first. People will have to be their own fact checkers on this one. I'll tweet them out when this is over. You know, I remember the one I brought up was about research. the the refugee vetting. I don't remember the other thing I said I wanted to fact check on though. Uh, neither do I. Sorry. Um, you know, I I just pulled up uh, the. Uh, the government website for this and it says the uh, total processing time varies depending on the applicant's location and other circumstances but the average time from the initial UNHCR referral to arrival uh, as a refugee in the United States is about 18 to 24 months so that's longer than a year yeah <laughs> alright so um, we're going to move on uh, I, I don't think we need to actually do I was going to do something about the electoral college but who honestly gives a shit um <laughs> I think we're just going to move on to uh, the single-payer issue. Um, do you support single-payer single, uh, single single health care system? We're going to start with Kyle on that one. Give you five okay. minutes. Shocker. Everybody in the audience is going to be completely stunned to find out I do. Um, all right, so let me run through my arguments, and then we'll let him say silly things. Um, according to... <laughs> Uh, a brand new poll just came out this month, Associated Press NORC poll from this year. 62% of Americans support Medicare for all. Um, there's even a poll where there's more Republicans that support Medicare for all than don't. Now, Medicare for all, one of the first things Republicans say when they talk against it is, they, oh, it's too expensive, we can't afford it. Too expensive, can't afford it. Too expensive, can't afford it. You know what? It is expensive. It's It costs over 10 years. It would cost 30 two trillion dollars that's a lot of money um but here's the problem if we didn't do medicare for all the cost of our private health care system over that same time period would be 49 trillion dollars so that is a net savings of 17 trillion dollars uh private insurance companies um when it comes to them 80 about 80 percent of your premium money and this is their numbers 80% of your premium money goes to actual medical care. 20% goes to overhead costs. Now, when you look at Medicare, 94% of your money that you pay into it goes to actual medical care. Just 6% goes to overhead costs. So it's significantly more efficient. Um, Now, when you look at the, the studies on healthcare systems around the world, according to the World Health Organization, Uh, This is a study from 2000, so if somebody were to say it's outdated, they would be correct. Uh, But France was number one in the world in the year 2000. The United States was ranked number 37. Um, We spend about 16% of our GDP on healthcare. Other modern nations spend about half of that, and they cover everybody. We spend double what they spend, and we still have at least 30 million people who are uninsured. Um, And... Remember how I said the World Health Organization study was outdated? I have the the newer one here. This one was done by the Commonwealth Fund, uh, and they ranked the top uh, systems in the modern world. Number one, UK. Two, Australia. Netherlands, Norway, New Zealand, Sweden, Switzerland, Germany, Canada, France, and the very worst in the modern world when it comes to healthcare, United States. 
Um, and then final point I'll make on this is medical bankruptcies. The United States has hundreds of thousands of medical bankruptcies every single year. Go to Canada, mention the word medical, and then the word bankruptcy, and they will laugh at you and go, that's not a thing that doesn't exist here. People don't go broke because they have medical bills. That's not a thing in Canada. That's not a thing in Norway. That's not a thing in Denmark. That's not a thing in Iceland. That's not a thing in Sweden. We have hundreds of thousands of those in the United States. Um, and with that, I'm done. Razor, take it away. Yeah, look, it isn't universal health care I have an issue with. It's kind of the monolithic authoritarian ham-beast government has to transmogrify into in order to accommodate single-payer health care that I personally take issue with. Like, I've, I've always kind of lived by the credo of a government large enough to give you everything you could ever want also has to be large enough to take everything away that you will ever have. And history kind of absolves that viewpoint of lapsing into mere paranoia, because when you give the government a proverbial inch, they will seize the mile by force if necessary. That's just how it is. As I, as I already stipulated and I stand by it, government is at the end of the day force. It's the threat of force, if nothing else. I mean... By all means, let's look at the left's land of milk and honey, Canada, where government-subsidized healthcare is so indescribably utopian that they had to put an amendment on a law that makes it actionably illegal to obtain your own healthcare through private means. I mean, like I don't I agree with that for the record. And, and waiting times, incumbent waiting times have increased in 2013, as I said, in Canada across all 12 major medical disciplines, all of them. Waiting times increase from nearly 10 weeks to 18 and a half weeks. So look, there's no such thing as a perfect healthcare where you're always going to get healthcare in any instance. Canada, whatever. This isn't me bashing Canadian healthcare for not taking care of people. Uh, because either way, you're you're never going to have the amount of care you actually want. But it is a value judgment. Are you going to prefer to pay more and get it quicker? Or are you going to pay in your time and waiting? That's really what it comes down to. Like I, I lapse, I laugh until I collapse a fucking lung when the left say we need single payer socialized medicine. Like not to disseminate the meaning of life or anything, but uh, we already have single payer socialized medicine. It's called the Veterans Administration. And hey, how's that been working out lately? How many grandpa corpses did we stack up this week? It's like, ranked our better than uh, quasi-socialist president couldn't handle a laughably minuscule microcosm of single-payer socialized medicine. Meanwhile, the Bernie Bros want to unfurl that clusterfuck nationwide. Good goddamn luck with all that. What's the most popular healthcare system in is the that, U.S.? Hold on, does that conclude your time, Razor? Yeah, yeah, that's, I'm good. What's the most popular healthcare system in the U.S.? Not probably single-payer healthcare because they've been sold a bill it's, of goods. It's it's Medicare. What's Medicare? Single-payer healthcare. I rest my case. <laughs> well, and that's the thing. We allow our citizens to actually buy their own our own care. In Canada, that's not allowed. No, okay. I, I don't agree with that. I think you should be able to get, uh, buy supplemental private insurance if you so choose, but there should be a Medicare for All system. That's the baseline. Yeah, but yeah and that's the thing. Like, it's, it's great in Canada, like, if you want to replace a pair of glasses, like, yeah, it costs nothing. Uh, in some cases, you get what you pay for. But um, like I said, with all socialist legislation, it kind of comes with additional regulations and outright strictures on personal liberty. Um, that, you know, the Canadian people, they, they had to make a value judgment. They made it. But those personal liberties are never going to come back. Once the government takes authority, they never give it back. But you uh, do know there are different kinds of single-payer systems, right? Like the UK— Absolutely. No, no, no. Every, every single-payer system is not the same. Right. And there are many single-payer countries where you can get supplemental private insurance if you want. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Unfortunately, okay. in a lot of cases, that's not that's not true. And uh, you know, like I said, if if Canada is your land of milk and honey, then by all means, let's look at Canada. That's what it's like. You know, there are people who, in a lot of cases, in more severe cases particularly, have to relocate, not necessarily even to the United States, but somewhere else to get their uh, extremely expensive procedures done. Or if they feel like the system is kind of grinding its wheels, if they want to get something taken care of in a timely fashion, they have to go somewhere else, yeah. you know? Well, I, just, I, I, I already kind of provided an anecdotal example earlier, but you know. Yeah, I mean. we don't need to go over that again. But I will, you know, I also mentioned the point that, yes, everybody rations care. It's a matter of how you prioritize your rationing. They do it based on need. We do it based on the size of your wallet. So, I yes. They do it based on need and time. They do. That's how they do it. They do it based on need. That's exactly how they prioritize. Yeah, and that comes, that manifests itself in waiting times is what I mean. And we have waiting times here too. That's my point. If you're if you're not rich, yes, you're gonna have waiting times. You won't have a waiting time if you're rich, because our we do wallet biopsies. We ration care based on how rich you are. So it's a matter of how you want to ration care. Yeah, I think it's more I, logical I, I, to ration thing it based I do on take issue need. With is rich like really like I was okay. I was not covered for a while uh, because with the profound goat fuck that was Obamacare, I wouldn't, I didn't know the first place to start in getting healthcare because it was such a circuitous mire. So for a while I was not covered. So when I went to the doctor, I just paid out of pocket. That's like 90 bucks for a general care practitioner. Where is this like prohibitively expensive thing coming from? I mean, anyone with a basic job, with a job- Anytime you have to go to the hospital, that's when it happens. That, okay. And that's a general it, practitioner point, is cheap. Going time, to a hospital, hospital even for hospital something like a broken arm or something. I'm sorry. I'm not even supposed to be involved. What am I even doing? That's all right. I have no more to say on this anyway. So. Okay. So yeah. we have some uh, user-submitted questions yeah. um, that uh, Ben has uh, collected, and uh, we're going to put forth some of those. And then uh, this is pretty much wrapped up after that. All right, so I'll I'll just start from the top of the list here. Here's uh, okay. So the first question is: Should all drugs be legalized? Is that for me? That's for either one of you that want. That's for both of you. Okay. Whoever wants I, to take I, it. I personally think they they should be legal, taxed, and regulated. Now a lot hinges on that last word, regulated. Like, how do you regulate it? There's a lot of gray area and what how exactly you regulate it. But yes, I do think drugs should be legal, taxed, and regulated. I think I think you have to be careful of the violent drugs or, or, the, or the drugs that can tend to. I, I assume that's what you're referring to, like bath salts or the like, where yeah, people like, wind up eating other people's faces or whatnot. Right. I wouldn't have reg, uh, you know easily available bath salts or crystal meth, but I would have you know other amphetamines that you could buy that aren't going to give you that kind of a fucking high, but you're going to get an amphetamine high. Sure. Yeah. I you know I kind of. I kind of almost prefer to have the, you know, where like Colorado is a legal area and whatnot. And if you aren't predisposed to live in an area where it's legal, you can kind of live there too. So you kind of have a choice of where you want to be. I see some merit in that as well, but I agree generally uh, legalization doesn't particularly bother me. You know, again, I, I approach it from- I feel too like if the, the people who are uh, like shit like bath salts, people do that shit because they're just desperate for a high. I feel like if there's better drugs available- Oh yeah. I agree. I agree. Just like and, uh, what what was that other stuff? Spice? Like the fake weed? Yeah, yeah, people the fake were dying. weed. Like, yeah, they're obviously getting fake weed because they couldn't get like regular weed. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I mean, and that shit was way worse than weed. Oh, so what, way worse. Uh, so uh, Ben, uh, next, next, next question. I already know Razor Fist's answer to this question. Uh, would Hillary have been a better president than Trump? No. 
Dude, absolutely not. I think many people on the left would even say absolutely not. It's, you know, mm. Trump Trump may have uh, subverted, even if you make the argument and do so successfully, which I don't believe Kyle did, that Trump has subverted his original principles. Uh, Hillary laid it right <laughs> out that she was not really? going to have any to begin with. You don't so think I did. It, it really argument. is a question of if you wanted if you wanted someone to throw I mean, at least there's turnover in Trump's cabinet. If you are arguing that Trump's cabinet are a bunch of corrupt Goldman Sachs whores, then okay, that's fine. But a lot of them have also been fired. So not the Goldman Sachs. I don't think they would have been fired in the situation. I also think a lot of the revelations that we found out about government corruption, particularly as it pertains to the DNC afterward, I don't think we would have heard word one about that if she had become president. There's a lot of things. That I was think exposed Julian before, Assange. That ex- sorry, was exposed what? beforehand. That was exposed right after the primary. So, Kyle, I, I want to kind of take you back to the original question, actually, because, uh, you know, you, yeah. you I know you've uh, you've been a pretty staunch critic of Hillary. Do you think she'd actually be doing a better job right yes, now? Yes, I do. I think she would be for a few reasons. Number one, she wouldn't uh, be getting us out of the Iran deal. So the Iran deal, um, yes, it makes it much more likely that Iran is not going to get a nuclear weapon. And if you get rid of that, then you're escalating tensions with Iran. I don't think Hillary would have been nearly well, what, as bad. What on, if we on, didn't let, get let me, that? What if we get through it all? But we, but we got the fucking uh, the 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 no-fly zone in fucking Syria or something. And no, that but that's the thing. So Trump bombed the Syrian government. He bombed a, yeah. a, a, an air uh, port with fighter jets that was a Syrian government. So he, he's been he's been just as hawkish, if not more so. Like, I don't think Hillary would have been this hawkish on fucking North Korea where Trump is, like, tweeting that he's going to fucking attack him any minute. Where he, oh, he's like, only one thing will work. Only one thing will work. To, okay, I don't care how how much blind, frothing rage you have when you hear the name Trump. You can't argue there was a clear provocation in Kim Jong-un launching a missile over Japan. They are our allies at the end of the day. I mean, I think Hillary would have responded as well. I'm sorry. In that situation, he cannot be launching missiles over Japan. Every other president was smart enough to know that when fuckface McDictator Fatboy over there starts yapping his trap... You shut the fuck up and let him blow his steam off, and that's it. But what does Trump do? He starts responding, and he goes on Twitter, and he says, only one thing will work. The other presidents failed. Only one thing will work. They've been flying uh, jets right at the North Korean border, fighter jets, in a provocative move in their own respect. Yep. So this is what you, this is what happens when you have two giant ego idiots who are puffing their chest out, is you're on the verge of war. It's so bad. You're laughing. It's so fucking bad right now that the people in the administration are telling people, listen, if you have assets in South Korea, get them out because this is different this time. Yes, because South Korea are taking an aggressive point. That's the thing that you're conveniently not mentioning. Trump can chest beat on Twitter all day. He couldn't be one fifteenth as hawkish as South Korea are right now on the subject of North Korea. The real danger here is not Trump invading North Korea. The real danger is South Korea invading North Korea. And you should be honest about that, is, that and admit it. Oh, I should be honest about that. Uh, by the you way, Trump no is such a, a thunder dunce <laughs> that he backed North Korea off of Guam. Did you give him any credit for that one? No, I didn't give him credit for that because he created the crisis in the fucking first place. Oh, really? The same so, with JFK. So- the same with JFK. JFK causes the fucking Cuban Missile Crisis and then takes credit when the Cuban when we don't get into a nuclear war. Like right, no fuckface. No, 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 you give, know what? Not going to give you credit fair for creating enough, the problem in the first place. Fair enough comparison, but I would argue. Like what was what would you say was the aggressive move that uh, impelled North Korea to move on Guam? From from Trump, I mean, because it appears that what had been happening is that South Korea was ramping up its rhetoric, not Trump prior to that. 
Donald Trump, from day one when he got elected, has been hawkish on North Korea. All he's done is hawkish rhetoric. All he's done he is pack his administration full of neocon hawks. He hardly ever talked about North Korea on the campaign trail. I literally can't remember. Right, that's right. He, he may have, right. he probably did. Which is exactly the point. The point is, and TJ would mention this because he noticed it too, that Trump was a lot more non-interventionist when he was campaigning and he was trying to be populist because he knew it would fucking work to get him elected. And then now that he's elected, he's the establishment's bitch boy and he's increased in Syria, he's increased in Afghanistan, he's increased in Iraq, he's increased drone strikes 432%, he's tanking the Iran deal, he's giving Saudi Arabia $110 billion worth of weapons when they're a fucking jihadist state, and now we're on the brink of, of war with North Korea. So the, Look, the answer to the question is yes, he, he's worse than Hillary because Hillary... Though she would have been bad, and I have no doubt that she would also be packing her administration full of Wall Street bitches, um, but I do think that on some of these key issues, and also the the uh, the Paris Climate Agreement, she wouldn't have pulled out of that. So yes, even though Hillary would have been horrible, I don't think it's hard right, to be. I, know, I, I think I'm sorry I to cut it off here, consider... but we have a few more questions. Razor, I'll, I'll give you first dibs on this next issue. Okay. Uh, <laughs> do you think Bernie Sanders would have beaten Trump in a general election? You know, that's a—I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I would say he had a better chance than Hillary, but I'll say this. I think people saying that Bernie Sanders could have beaten Trump are kind of ignoring that Trump displayed an ability to change when he had to. So I, I think if conditions changed, he would have changed as well. So it's kind of an impossible hypothetical to answer because um, he did show, like, look, there were various times— Trump would make a pivot to sound more presidential. Other times, you know, like after the tape was dropped, then the gloves were off. And suddenly he went back to being more, you know, more aggressive, hitting Hillary harder. So I think he would have adapted. He clearly showed a capacity to adapt his tone to whoever he was up against. He did it during the primary. He did it during the general. So I think he'd be about on even footing personally. I think people kind of exaggerate. Bernie's chances. I will Not give that I Trump he that he was won. an excellent character assassin. I did love watching him rise through the Republican primaries. It was very entertaining. Um, Kyle, same question. Uh, yes, 100%. I see. In fact, there was a study that came out after the election where they asked people in the Rust Belt. The Rust Belt is why Trump won. Like, everything else is just background noise. The Rust Belt is why Trump won. Hillary won the popular vote by, like, two or three million votes or some shit. But it's totally irrelevant because Trump got the votes that he needed in Michigan, like, right in that fucking Rust Belt. And the problem is, in those areas, they were all places that were devastated by NAFTA and all the trade deals that outsourced all the fucking jobs and dumbass Hillary with her shitty fucking platitudes and her identity politics and her stronger together, break down the barriers, her candidacy, which was about nothing but Hillary fucking Clinton and saying it's my turn to be elected. She was so clueless as to the populist rage in the country and the anti-establishment rage, rage in the country. I mean, she ran on, I will continue what's happening now. And yeah, so when yeah, Trump- and it's hard, when, it's hard to on, distance hold on, hold yourself from- Hold on, Oh, I'm sorry. I was just going to add to your thing, not, not well, rebut you. But like, well, it's, it's hard for her to distance herself from NAFTA when she's married to the guy who made it, <laughs> who signed it, I mean. Of course, yeah. yes. But the point is, yeah. Bernie Sanders, his entire career was a zillion percent against all the outsourcing, was a million percent with working class people. His record is so strong on that. He knows 
as much as anybody has ever known about economic policy. And what would have happened is he would have exposed Trump in the debates because Trump is like TJ said, he's great at like making shit personal and doing these zingers and like making people look silly. But when you're on stage with a dude who's a thousand years old, he's got fucked up hair, he's got bad posture and he's he talks like this. He's a silly character. That guy's so obsessed with with policy and with the issues and he's so populist that everybody would recognize, hey, that's the real populist, and Trump is a fake populist. And the study that I referenced, it, it's um, they asked people in those states, and the people in those states overwhelmingly like populist Democrats and would vote for populist Democrats over Republicans. The problem is Hillary wasn't a populist Democrat. So, I mean, he won some of those states by 10,000 votes, 50,000 votes. Bernie would have easily won those states. So it would have been... It's possible, but again, I think it depends on a hypothetical where Trump remains stationary, tonally. And well, I don't think he would have. He he showed that he was canny enough to adapt to whoever he was against, is what I'm saying. But he doesn't, but he could, he beats know, Hillary. I don't know if there's a card in that deck for Trump, though. He beats Hillary because Hillary was too tactical and too obsessed with how she looks, and he just goes out there like a fucking loose cannon and just fucking right, wrecks shit. We're going to do one more question, and then we're going to wrap this up. Right on. All right. So, uh, what do you guys think about this new Russia controversy uh, regarding uh, groups in Russia uh, causing uh, like black uh, activist groups to? Uh, have Have you seen this? It was actually a story we covered. It's the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my life. So, right. on the Russia thing, I'll let Razor get the last word. But let me just say real quick, on the Russia thing, it's gotten to the point where it is it is like literally comical like like comedy writers wrote it the headlines are like the most recent one is standing rock activists were influenced by russia and black yeah. youtubers which by the way the youtubers they they spoke about had 260 subscribers but they did this <laughs> big like bombshell black youtubers were used by russia and the whole russia thing man it's it's bullshit in fact the only russia thing that has any merit to it is honestly what happened with Hillary Clinton and what happened with Barack Obama and the fact that they they Hillary Clinton and Eric Holder they signed off on the uranium one deal which gave Russia control of 20% of our uranium in the US and they did that because Bill Clinton was getting a shitload of money for the Clinton Foundation from Russia and they did that because it was a it was corrupt dealings in fact the FBI knows that Russia was bribing people behind the scenes so it's so funny because it really is the case that on this issue it is complete and utter projection from the democrats now yeah. trump is corrupt in a thousand ways and i can go over those in detail if you want but on the issue of russia maybe maybe i don't know but maybe he did, was involved in some money laundering for oligarchs or some shit but it wasn't some russian government shit with him with hillary and the democrats the corporate democrats it was the Russian government, and it was giving them control of 20% of the uranium. And every headline I've seen trying to connect the dots with Trump on Russia, I don't see it. Because he hasn't even delivered on anything for Russia. He he increased sanctions. He, yeah, like, the and, idea and, was and, he's going to help them out. He increased sanctions on them. Yeah, and we were both— I don't think, think Razorfist is going to disagree with you on this one. No, 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 I completely agree. And we were both pissed about Syria. Syria was a Russian ally. You know, he he pissed off Russia almost right off the bat of his administration. Sure, I just yeah. don't see it. I, I always thought it was a bit of a hard sell saying Trump was a Russian agent when you couldn't even find a picture of Vladimir Putin and Trump in the same room together until after he was already president. To me, that was a hard sell. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I never bought into the Russia thing.
Um, okay, so uh, that pretty much wraps up our debate. I want to thank both of our debaters for showing up. Um, if either of you have any sort of parting words for the audience or want to talk about some way in which you, you perceived the conversation tonight, I'll give you a chance to do that if you wish. Yeah, I, I had fun. Uh, thanks for doing it, uh, Razor. Appreciate it. And um, if people want to find me, uh, I'm Ky at Kyle Kalinske on Twitter, and it's youtube.com slash secular talk. And that's pretty much it. I think your guys' links should both be in the description. They are. Yeah, they're okay. down there. So, uh, yeah, if you want to subscribe to either of our debaters here tonight, we have their links in the description. Razor, do you have anything you wanted to say? It was, it was great meeting you, Kyle, uh, and it was, it was great being back on the show, guys. Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, thanks to everyone. Thank you. All right, good night, everybody. All right, good night. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. -ba -ba.